For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Papers this morning talking about Get Set to Sizzle, record-breaking heat on the cards this weekend, and they love stamping three zero degrees, as in 30 on the papers today. Slap on the sunscreen, they're suggesting. Now, maybe it's the Midlands, I'm not sure, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. Certainly, they're saying a high-temperature advisory has been issued by uh, Met Aaron. Country set to sizzle for another week with the mercury pushing towards breaking records. Anybody kind of half alarmed about this where they're talking about 36, 38 degrees in parts of the UK and 40 and higher in Europe? I mean, it's all very well to be saying, oh, this weather is super and it's great. But is, is there any kind of indication that things are going from bad to worse with regards to the climate on this planet of ours? With a high temperature advisory being issued across the country, now they're also saying, like the Mirror this morning talks about red alert, uh, have a supply of water with you, don't stay out in the heat too long, wear sunscreen, never leave pets or children or babies in vehicles. Um, also, they're saying with regards to animals, make sure that they have plenty of water uh, and that they can uh, find an area of shade if they're unattended. You know the way it is yourself. Weekend hot spell to be over 30 degrees. Uh, that's, and it's hot enough here, but across Europe then, you are looking at serious temperatures that are leading already to European wildfires. I mean, heatwaves should be given a name according uh, to the Psychological Society. <laughs> Everybody has to have, everyone and everything has to have a name or a title or a label these days. They're saying now that the Met Office should name heat waves just like they do storms. I don't know what you think of that. Text 0868104106. As in, this one could be called um, Hot as Hell. <laughs> yeah, heat wave hot as hell. Uh, can't sleep on the red hot nights? Well, the Times UK says rub yourself in onion juice. That sounds absolutely disgusting. Will I dwell it? Any, will I dwell on it any more than saying that apparently rubbing yourself in onion juice, um, you know, gets you a better night's sleep because it cools you down. And I don't know. That's all I got to say on that. Onion juice. Sounds disgusting. I mean, it would smell, wouldn't it? I mean, no matter how much you'd shower after that, you'd never get rid of that smell. Be certainly antisocial. Uh, in other news this morning, uh, you can, you, we've got over 40,000 Ukrainian refugees in this country now, and there's no more room for Ukrainian refugees, according to the mail. It's not that they're not welcome. It's just that we ain't got any places for them to live and to lay their heads. They're sleeping on chairs now in Dublin Airport, apparently. City West, you know the facility in Dublin City West? That's completely full to capacity. And they're arriving in the airports and there's nowhere to put them. So there's been a major surge now. And no matter how many papers I read, I can't seem to find the information. But they are saying that there's been a major surge in asylum seekers and refugees coming into Ireland. Now, 40,000 from Ukraine, but a lot from other countries. Now, they don't state the countries that I can see in any of the papers this morning, but we have a lot from other countries that are coming into the state as well. And they're coming from the north also. So it's pushed the system now to the brink of collapse. Uh, I'm not saying that it has collapsed, but it's certainly full. Unless they come up with some new ideas, we're in big trouble here. Like the examiner this morning is saying that a tented village constructed in Gormanstown Camp in County Meath last March is the next one now that's going to be used. Tents. And they're due to open that as an alternative accommodation uh, centre. But we've run out of spaces and there are still more coming. Not just Ukrainian, coming from countries that aren't at war 
with claiming refugee and asylum seeker uh, status. A couple of interesting ones from the courts. There's a fellow before the courts because he had a white Mercedes motor car parked in a disability parking bay in the city. This is what guards have to put up with if they try and keep things uh, rolling in the city centre and what have you or go about their duty. So he was approached by a guard. He said to the guard, you'll die inside in hell. Go away and F off. He said a lot more than F off. Fellow by the name of O'Sullivan from down Cargillineway. He pleaded guilty and, uh, you know, I mean, in, in fairness, like, kind of held his hands up on that and so did his defence solicitor, Frank Buttermer. Judge Kelleher imposed a five-month suspended sentence on him. He says to the guard, uh, he says, F off. He says, you'll, um, uh, you can go away and F yourself before adding, I'll effing kill you. I mean, you can't be, you can't be. You can't be saying those kind of things to anybody, certainly not to a member of the Garda Shikana. I think you're going to get away with it. But to an extent, I suppose, you get off with a warning with a five-month suspended sentence. You will die inside in hell. Go away and F off, he says. Uh, bullying, not just in, uh, you know, with regards to adults or online, but our children and our children in schools, both inside and outside of school. And Sally Hanlon uh, from Support After Crime Services and Anglicy makes the front page of this morning's Echo, where they're saying bullying is a crime, uh, according to Sally Hanlon, and should be dealt with accordingly. She says, we have youngsters now who are looking for our help who've been bullied and beaten after school. And, you know, you might say that they'll recover medically, but they recover a lot slower emotionally uh, because bullying can be a long, drawn-out, slow, painful, awful period in a young person, in anybody's life, but certainly a young person or a teenager. So terrified teens turn to victim support. And meanwhile, when you look at, you know, the equality of the sexes in Ireland, it's interesting because the Mirror says... Women in Ireland hold hold less than a quarter of business leadership roles and they're less likely to be promoted than men. So we need to change that. It needs to be changed an awful lot faster. Some would say that people should be promoted on their merit and not their sex. But at the same time, there is a huge disparity. One versus four. You know, and work needs to be done on that. And another area that work is going to have to be done is with regards to our constitution. So we're going to need a referendum to remove a clause in the constitution because there's a part in the constitution that if I were to sum it up, it, it kind of says that a woman's place is in the home. And there's a call for a referendum to take that clause out. What it actually says is that the state recognizes that by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. The state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home. And that's the clause that many people feel is outdated. It's a 100 years old now and should be changed and taken out in the sense that a woman's place is not exclusively in the home no more. You know, with regards to fuel prices and the likes of that, I know that it's gone up and many places, uh, you know, are, are trying to get their prices down under two euro and I was cycling in this morning and I saw one or two that did. Apparently the Norwegians and the Finns and the Danes are paying an awful lot more than us, so take some consolation out of that. And with regards to fuel, I've been keeping an eye on the Green Party story. You know, Catherine Martin and members of the Greens who fly internationally, they fly business class. She's come out recently and said that she will fly business class again if it's needed. 
uh, despite the higher carbon footprint and the Greens going on about climate warming and what have you, she says if it's needed and necessitates that she will fly business class again. And other people who are flying are people who can't get treatment in Ireland, so they're heading overseas for treatment. Did you know that a brand new hospital has now officially opened in Spain and it is dedicated to treat patients on long public waiting lists in Ireland. And this is a Spanish hospital that's opened exclusively for overseas patients from Ireland. And um, they figure that they should be getting to see in and around 1,500 patients a year. It's a 64-bed hospital on the Costa Blanca. And I was looking at the stats of this this morning with regards to the amount of people who travelled overseas uh, for care, um, uh, you know, under the uh, reimbursement for care abroad scheme. I'll come to those figures a little later on this morning because they're out now for 2019. It was 13 million was repaid to patients. 2020, 15 million was repaid to patients and went overseas. It dropped dramatically in 2021, and that was because of because uh, of COVID and what have you, to, to 9 million. So it's so bad now that Spanish hospitals are opening just to deal with, uh, uh, with people who can't get treatment here in Ireland. And one interesting one where they say, um, what is the most romantic, sexiest, lovable accent? They say it's Italian. There's research out this morning in the Mirror pick up and it's saying the Italian accent has been voted the most likely to make people go weak at the knees and fall hopelessly in love. Like it doesn't matter if he's an ugly Italian, as long as he's got an Italian accent, that'll do it. Um, but apparently the top 10 includes the Italians first, the Italian accent, the Spanish second, French third, Scottish fourth, I kind of ha- I kind of said Scottish there as if I was surprised. My apologies to Scottish people. Irish fifth. What in the name of God are we doing fifth? We should be first. English sixth. Then Welsh, Greek, Swedish, and German. So the Italians apparently win the Italian accent. The most voted that will make people go weak at the knees and fall hopelessly in love. Oh, I'll leave it at that. Oh, I also just one final one. Bob Dylan now has also come out and banned mobile phones at gigs. Apparently he said if you're going to a Dylan gig, you need to put your mobile phone in a pouch. Uh, He's joined the likes of Madonna and others now. Christy Moore won't allow the bars to be open. um, And uh, that's always been the way with Christy for over 20 years now. But Dylan is saying no to phones. He's just fed up with people filming him, apparently. He just doesn't want that anymore, filming with mobile phones. Cork's number one talk show. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. Um, I have to tell you one other story before I go ahead. I'll get to the phone calls in a couple of seconds, if you don't mind. But there is a story of a fella, right, um, who went into the shop. It's not funny. He went in. He had a plastic gun, but the person behind the counter in the spa shop didn't know it was a plastic gun. She thought it might have been, but she heard on the side of caution. This is in Coolock in Dublin back in January of last year. This fella robbed... Uh, the shop, right? He got about 150 euro in cash. It wasn't enough, so he also uh, stole a whole fistful of 10 euro scratch cards. He arrived at the shop, apparently, in a taxi and asked the taxi to wait for him. He didn't rob the shop and then got the taxi to take him home. So he does all of that and he goes home. It proves one thing, actually. Um, He apparently then would have scratched the scratch cards at home and found that he'd won 5,000 euro on one of the scratch cards. Um, so he's a scratch card worth five grand and he wonders, what are we going to do with that? So what he does is, he goes into the GPO a few days later in Dublin and he cashed it in, the scratch card, for the five grand. 
Um, so apparently all sorts of alarms and alerts went off because obviously the crime had been reported to the Gardaí. There were barcodes on the scratch cards. And of course, then when the criminal, I think, I think one of the guards at the time says that he, um, he wouldn't rate him on the list of criminal intelligentsia. So when he got the five grand in the GPO, all sorts of alarm bells went off. They checked the barcode and found that it was one of the stolen scratch cards in the shop in Kulak. That wasn't bad enough. They turned it over and they found that he signed it. <laughs> He'd put his address on it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> dumb and dumber here. like So all of a sudden then you're the boys in blue calling at the door. right? So they took his DNA and they matched his DNA with the DNA and the scratch cards. <laughs> he was before the courts. Uh, a man who robbed the winning scratch cards when he left it was before the courts yesterday. Uh, he got jailed. He got jailed for a year and a half yesterday, pleaded guilty at the Dublin Circuit Criminal Court. It didn't help, actually, the fact that he had a plastic gun because it would still put the fear of God into somebody you're robbing because they don't know whether it's plastic or real. But he signed the back of it with his name and his address. I mean, you'd think if he had some bit of cop on, he'd have put a fake name on it and a fake address. If he even had to put that on it at all, I'm sure you did. But no, that's what he did. And the rest, my friends, is history. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 Red FM. All right. Interestingly, you know, because somebody's texting here saying, back in the 80s, this would be simply known as a hot summer. This global warming scam will continue until the public do their own research and realize it's all just a massive con. The same twits that believe the global warning, warming narrative are the same twits that are jabbed up to the eyeballs with clot shots because of a common cold, says Sean in Douglas. Yeah, I love the Cork people and the opinions that they have. I just love Cork, actually. It's beautiful, beautiful out there this morning. I cycled in from Douglas and the city is looking absolutely glorious in the sunshine. All along Douglas Street, over along by Sullivan's Quay, down by St. Finbar's. Gorgeous, looking down the Grand Parade and the river and the sun shining on it. It's a, a College Road even looks gorgeous. It really just looks beautiful when it's clean. Of course, there's not a whole lot going on there with college at the moment, so there's no litter there. It's totally clean, and all of the sanitation workers were out for uh, City Hall earlier this morning, and they were all working away. The place looks absolutely such a beautiful city in the sunshine. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. I want to start by chatting with Lorna to see if we can help her. Uh, and uh, t- we need we need to get this on the air straight away now because I need you you guys to, to help us out on this one as well. Lorna, good morning. Hey, Neil, how are you? I'm Thank good. You so Not at all. Listen, I'm delighted you came on because it will make a big difference rather than me just reading it out. So t- tell us the story regarding your dad. Sure. Um, so this morning at about 10 past 8, um, we noticed he was missing from the house. So we have cameras in the house and it looked like he went missing at 7 a.m. Or sorry, yeah, 7 a.m. So he's 91. He's frail. He's in a walker. He's wearing a grey pinstripe pants. Um, he wouldn't have much cognitive ability. He'd be a bit confused. Um, so and I, he wouldn't have identification on him either. So um, or just roaming the streets now trying to find him the guards have been notified we've notified um, the two main emergency departments in the hospital in the city but if anybody can see him please I would really appreciate if you could let us know Okay, 10 past 8 this morning that's only just over an hour and 15 minutes ago and he's uh, he has a walker as you say so he'd be moving slow enough wouldn't he exactly hopefully so you know he he definitely couldn't cover much ground couldn't cover much ground 
And you, what does he live with you, or is he alone? Is it what is it? His cameras you picked up, or what? He doesn't live with me. No, he 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 lives with my mom, and okay. the two of them live in Silver Heights Avenue. So Silver Heights Street. Avenue, Mayfield, um, yeah. and uh, like, how's his cognitive ability if people were to walk up and chat with them? Uh, he'd be chatty. He'd talk away. He might. He he would probably find it. He, it would take him time to put a sentence together sometimes. So you might get an immediate response. But he'd be confused. He'd be know? confused, yeah. But if somebody yeah. were to approach him and say, hi, how are you, lovely day, what, would they call him Bart or Bartholomew or, or what? Um, Bat. Bat. Bat is the name he's, he's, he's gone by down the years. Yeah, gotcha. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So, round about 10 past 8 this morning, 7, seven o'clock, was it, he was seen going yeah, out? Was, it's, oh, I'm sorry, he was seen leaving at 7. At 7, yeah, but we, we found out at about 10 past 8. Ah, okay. A couple of hours then. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But come here, at least it's, it's dry and it's sunny and it's not lashing down with rain. It's not the middle of winter and he won't get a cold or a pneumonia or a flu exactly. or anything. Exactly. So exactly. at least Thank that. God. Okay. So right about seven o'clock this morning, he left the house in Silver Heights Avenue. He has a walker, so he'd be moving slow enough. Uh, if anybody sees him, he's wearing a grey pinstripe pants. Can you tell me any more than that? Um, he's he's probably about five foot eight. He's got short grey hair, very thin. Right. Um, I don't know what else he was wearing. You don't know what top he was wearing, Lorna, do you? I, I don't. Um, actually... Somebody saying here it was a blue fleece jacket. Well done. Blue fleece jacket, grey pinstripe pants with a walker, left Silver Heights Avenue this morning for a bit of an old stroll, and you want to get him back home and safe. Please, God. Okay. And thank you to everybody. Really appreciate the help. Okay. Okay. Um, let me know if there's an update, will you? I will, of course, Neil. I will. I'm going to give you back to the lads now to see if we can get a photograph, okay? Oh, brilliant. Great idea. It's a great idea. It certainly is. Okay. Okay. Red alert, lads. Red alert. Thank you, Lorna. 91-year-old dad left the house this morning, Silver Heights Avenue in Mayfield uh, at 7 o'clock. Nobody realised it till about 10 past 8. He has a walker. She says his uh, cognitive ability wouldn't be great. Would uh, would be confused in an initial conversation. um, Possibly early Alzheimer's. Um, So if anybody has seen Bat... Um, would you please get in touch with me? Text 0868104106. I will then give that information to Lorna. They can jump in a car and make sure that he's safe and home again for a good hearty breakfast. So we're talking about a blue fleece top, grey pinstripe pants, small enough and frail, with a walker, lads. Okay, thank you for that. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone. We're talking about the north side here. We're talking about Silver Heights Avenue in Mayfield, that general general area. Okay? Text 0868104106. Let me stay with the phone lines if you don't mind. Tom, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? Loads of response to this, by certainly by text, with regards to uh, how difficult it can be for some people, not necessarily just the elderly, uh, to navigate through the online world that we were talking about yesterday to renew things, to apply for things. And also customer... I got talking about customer service then in general. So go ahead. That's right, yeah. Um, well, online, look, Neil, I wouldn't be the best of myself. Um, social media accounts, yeah, and to check emails and stuff. But um, last week, I was trying to sort out my car insurance, and I made the mistake of taking the, telling them that I'll do it monthly, you know. Um, so it was um, a company then that they put you in contact with, and you have to download their app. No, I don't have any apps on my phone. They're full of pictures and everything. Mm-hmm. So I had to delete loads of things first to download the app. And then when I downloaded the app, God almighty, the amount of stuff they wanted off me. Like my, obviously, driver's license, copy of your PPS number, proof of this. 
every picture that I took and put into it was coming back to me saying it wasn't valid or, or that there was too much light. Like, I was actually trying it for about two weeks. And in the end, for the sake of... Was this, for, was this for a monthly direct debit? Yeah, for a monthly direct debit. And in the end, I, like, I felt like throwing the phone off the wall. Like, um, I got my partner's card and I rang him and I paid the actual insurance company the 200 and something euros that was left on us as opposed to setting up the nine monthly installments because I just couldn't do it. And, you know, afterwards I was delighted because whatever my insurance was, I was paying an extra 90 euros yeah. Yeah. for the privilege of getting uh, a company were going to get me credit or whatever. You know, before you go to an insurance company and you pay them monthly, but now it's all set up through... Um, I think it was a premium credit or yeah, something. Yeah, but even if company. even if you do a, a monthly payment with the insurance company, it's still going to cost yeah. you more. It is, but yeah. it wouldn't cost you ninety euros more. Uh, you'd be you surprised. You'd be surprised. You'd be very, like um, some some people pay monthly out of absolute sheer and utter necessity. But if you can afford to pay yeah. it all, it's cheaper to pay it all. Of course, it is. Yeah, yeah. With the old supermarkets, Neil. Right, I went. <laughs> I went to a local shop there. Yeah. A Friday, maybe two weeks ago, right? Um, five o'clock in the evening. Walked in, grabbed the basket, had me shopping list. Went away to get me a few bits. Um, by the time I came back to the tail, I nearly had more on my hands than I had in the basket. <laughs> and whatever way I looked, I was absolutely gobsmacked. There was one till opened at five o'clock on a Friday. There was a queue from the self-service all the way back to that till. And the queue from that till was zigzagging down the shop. Right? One till and like how many lines are there if there was only one open? There was one open. I'd say there was about eight. The same shop used to have about 14 of them and they took away loads for self-service, right? So there was one till open at five o'clock on a Friday evening. And I I, I walked down towards it thinking that this was the queue just two or three people. And I looked down the aisle, and it was all the way down the aisle, across the middle aisle, and way down the other aisle as well, right? Um, why, so only, why, why, didn't, why didn't they notice this and say, um, we're now well, opening till two, we're now opening right? till three? Well, number one, it's not that shop that they'll tell you that, right? Um, I won't go into the whole name of it, whatever, I'm trying to avoid it like the plague at the moment. But when I walked to the queue, I thought it was just these two or three people, and they seen the queue zigzagging. And then I looked down at the self-service, and I thought to myself, this isn't good enough. So I had a look around for the manager, and he comes breezing down towards me, walking down all suited and booted, right? And next thing, as I make my way to him, he veers into the left, and he starts talking to a colleague. So I bent over the self-service queue, and I said, excuse me. I said, do you not see the queue here? And he says, uh, go to the self-service. I said, the self-service is as long as the other queue, man. I said, can you not open another till? He said, I have no staff. That's the thing. I said, I have there's no plenty staff. of, hang on. I said, there's plenty of staff. Where are they? He said, I said, you're standing beside one of them. They are chatting. I said, there's three of them down there at the self-service. Jump in I yourself. Said, Jump in yourself. So, yeah. Open the till. to be there. And I said to him, and I said, there's about 10 of them pushing trolleys around the place inside. They are doing online shopping for other people. I said, what about the people that are in the shop? No, like, oh, he says, go online and contact customer service. I said, what the is that going to do for all of us standing here, I said. You're telling me to go online and complain about it. And what is that going to do for us? Are you the manager of this shop, I said. Yes, I am. Well, I said, it's up to you to sort this out. One till open, I said, at five o'clock on a Friday. I said, this is a disgrace. And loads of people were looking. And to be honest, I thought they were going to start clapping. I said, said, please, don't, please. And next thing he says, well, it's the Tesco 
it's the Tesco way, he says to me. I said, what do you mean the Tesco way? To move everything well, ev- to the self-service. Everything, everything is going online now in self-service. I said, do you realise that you're going to be out of a job soon? Now, I've since heard that there's been X amount of staff laid off from a couple of their stores around the place. I said, do you realise that you're aiding and abetting this? I said, this is your job. I said, if you're the manager of this shop, and you're happy to see people standing in the queue for half an hour. He said, you shouldn't but, be the manager of the shop. But, but, you see, that's that's not altogether true because it's, he, he, he can't fix that problem if he hasn't got the staff. Well, he, he can't he fix the problem it, if it's... It the, no, but, no, but if it is the policy of the, the supermarkets and the multinationals to move it to self-scanning, he, he's not making that call. He's, he's trying to adapt to it. Well, Neil, within two minutes of me saying it to him, and I walked back to the queue... He was able to find three people to jump in and open, open up to him. Yeah, well, fair so play right, to you. Who was yeah, wrong? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, he, they, they opened the gate and he says to me, here, go on. And I said, no, but there's loads of people there before me. So they all went to the tills and I fell in behind them and I was out the door within five minutes. But why was it just you? If the, if the queue was so long, were they snaking back down the aisles? Why do people like sheep? No well, like, people are like sheep. They just stand yeah, and I they spoke, just... I spoke to two or three of them then when I was at the other till. And when I got to the till, I said to the chap, I said, look, I'm sorry, buddy, if you got into a bit of trouble there. I said, but this is a joke. He said, not at all. He said, you're dead right. And then two women that were in other tills started chatting. And I was saying, I said, this is so It is, it is. I said, people need to speak up on it, like. You know, you can't just be happy to stand there and be whinging and give a note to yourself and not actually go and say it to somebody. Like, they have staff employed over there that are doing online shopping. But what about the people, the customers that are in their paying cash yeah, or with their cars or whatever at yeah. the tills, like? Yeah, I know. I know. You know, and it's, it's, yeah. it's only these shops, Neil. I went from there over to another shop. Um, and when I went in there, there was, they have five or six tills and there was four people at the tills and the shop was like people running in and out smoothly. Like. Uh, yeah, but you know, have you not noticed it in banks as well? I have, Neil, and I've got on there. But you know, look, I'm, 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 I'm probably worse for myself in the banks because, look, I only got on there maybe every week or fortnight to put a couple of pounds in to pay a bill or to pay a direct debit and I just go straight into the self-service thing I put the money in because the queue is going out the door sometimes and there's one person yeah, there's one pill yeah. opened but like I, I just couldn't be standing around I know there's nothing that you can do there because they already have the, the pills taken away from there you know so I just goes in I go to the machine I put in my 20, 30, 50 quid whatever needs to be paid and I walk out I have nothing to do with the banks anymore you know, like, and now I won't have to be going under anymore because this year I paid for my insurance, so I don't have to sell up any direct debits. You know, so I just stay away. Do, from do you, like, did you make the point as well that people are actually doing themselves out of jobs if they allow yeah. all of this automation? Neil, I've said this to them. I've said this to them numerous times over there. Like, there's already staff after being laid go from that shop because I've spoken to a, um, a worker over there uh, maybe a few days after and don't to get my kids' phones. And I was chatting to someone over there, and they have taught me already that there's X amount of staff already after being laid off in that shop. Like, you know, they're doing themselves out of jobs. Yeah, it is fine for them to bring in the online order and run around with a trolley and pick it up for people. Like, but there's no interaction with customers. There's, there, there, there's, as you see, the tinnels are closed, and there's going to be more self-service going in there. They have these scanner guns, no and things like that. And I think that's why, like, I've seen a, a, a bit of a drop in that shop. And like, you go to other shops, and they still have the flow, they still have the good customer service. You know, they chat you for a second. When yeah, no, I have no problem. Things, I, I like those scanning machines. I like those if you've only got a few bits and pieces. But if it's a big shop, it's a different ball game entirely. You're of just course waiting. it is. Yeah yeah, 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 big time. But like, even when you go in there and you ask someone something, they're nearly half afraid to talk to you. You know, and you're kind of thinking, Jesus, like, where's the customer service guy? I know there's people in the shops that might have started before the pandemic or during the pandemic and it was all face masks and... 
you know, no um, smiling at each other and no bit of happiness, you know. Yeah. But, like, now the masks are off and it's still the same for them. Like, mm. I'm winning around the shop. I'm smiling, whistling Dixie around the place morning, noon and night. You know, and people will be looking at me queer, like, and I'm looking at them thinking, Jesus, what's wrong with you, like? Yeah, I know, I you know. know it's okay. a beautiful day. I know we all left things going on, like, but she's smiling and be happy, like, you know. <laughs> Good man, it's yourself. contagious, like. It's contagious, it really is. <laughs> Cheers, Tom. Let me get some more calls on the air. Text 0868104106. Just an update. Um, apparently, Jar got in contact with us and he says, Jar, sorry, male or female? Uh, don't know. Male, sorry. Jar got in contact to say that he saw a bat by his local shop at around quarter past seven this morning. And that's across the green from where Bat lives. It used to be Hanley's shop in Mayfield. Jar said if he'd known he wasn't well, that he would have intervened. So that was just at about a quarter past seven this morning in and around the green area where Bat lives. So we've updated Lorna on that one. But lads, if you have seen Bat, um, he's 91 years old. His cognitive ability wouldn't be great. He walks with the aid of a walker. He's wearing a blue fleece top and a grey pinstripe pants. Can you get in touch with me? Text 0868 Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Cork people are just incredible. William, good morning. Good morning, how are you doing? Oh, good, my man. You saw Bat this morning getting off the 208 outside Debenhams, is it? Outside Debenhams, yeah, it was around 7.50. I got on at 7.30 outside Soup Valley and he was already on the bus prior to that. Okay. Uh, blue fleece top, grey uh, pinstripe pants and a walker? And a walker, yes, 100%. Okay. So he got off at um, Debenhams at around about what? Uh, 10 to 8? Around the 10 to 8 mark, yes. Okay. And, and how do you recall? You must be, you're very astute that you picked no. up. Yeah, it's just I walk, like I always go to the top deck of the bus. So he was actually sitting by the stairs at the end. And you just, you happened to just notice him? Just, just notice because the walker frame is in front of him also. Your, your, your power of recall is incredible. Fair play to you for noticing and picking up. So 10 to 8 this morning, off the yes. bus at Debenhams on Patrick Street. Yeah, yeah, and he turned left in towards, uh, if he's going towards Mark Spencer's direction. Okay, fair play to you, William. Thanks for that update. Yeah, all well. Cheers, yeah, my man. From there to right. Liam, who's working in Twilight News. I loved Twilight News. It was always in there. The coffee's great. Liam, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you getting I'm on? good, my man. I'm good. What have you got for me? Do you spot bat? I, well, I reckon it did only about half eight this morning. Uh, there's two bus stops outside Twilight News there. There's one for the 207 and one for the 215 going to Blarney. There was an elderly gentleman there with the Zimmer frame. Definitely the pants. I thought it was a great top, but I wouldn't be 100% sure. But like around that age group anyway and the Zimmer frame, you know, walking very slow. Okay, where oh, I I, I did, where do you think he was going? Was he waiting for a bus or moving? Yeah, on? he was. There, he, yeah, he was. He was stopped at the the two one uh, the sorry the two one five bus stop. Like he had stopped there and was just looked like he was waiting on the bus. You know. And where would the two one five bus stop take him? That would be going towards Blarney. All right, so you know, we don't, we don't know whether it, he, yeah we don't know whether he got on a bus or not though, do we? I I don't because I tell you I was running from one shop to another. Um, but it just struck me that he was actually there on his own. There was nobody else there at the time, like, you know. Um, but he was walking quite slow. He had just stopped in outside the 215. Was he a thin, frail, elderly man? He's 91 years yeah, absolutely, old. Absolutely, absolutely, around that age group, yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Small, small size, Joe size, like, yeah. Okay, don't know whether he got on a bus or is just... I, unfortunately not, I wish I did. I, I know, know no, it, listen, yeah. in fairness, you noticed and you have the recall to... Yeah. Uh, to spot that yeah, it was no. bad. So that was an hour ago. 
that was around 25 past eight this morning. Around okay, about an hour and 20 minutes ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. Okay, so let's, please, let's, please keep, let's keep the up, alert yeah. going. All right, thank you, Liam. Appreciate it. There's not a bother. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. That's Liam and William. So that's uh, an update anyway to about an hour and 10 or 15 minutes ago. Twilight News on Patrick Street. Now, as to whether he boarded a bus, I don't know. Uh, whether or not he kept walking, I don't know. But certainly in the city centre an hour ago. So you're looking out for bat lads. He's 91 years old. Can I just get the, the just the, the brief description again? There, I have a photograph of him now as well, which is good. So we can, we have the picture and the description on our Twitter account. Um, he's 91 years old, left Silver Heights Avenue in Mayfield this morning at 7am. They picked it up on cameras. It's Bat Collins. He is a walker. His cognitive ability wouldn't be the greatest uh, he will come across as confused. They think it might be possibly early Alzheimer's. Um, but at least the weather is nice. And, you know, everything will be fine in the end. But they just want to get him home ASAP. So he's wearing uh, grey pinstripe pants, apparently a blue. I assume this is accurate that it was a blue fleece top. Uh, and he's a frail chap with grey hair. Uh, and he's pushing a walker. So, lads, I need you to get in touch, and people have been, so we need to get him found and home, and Lorna is anxious to uh, reconnect with her dad. So uh, text me on that one, text 0868104106. If you want to see what Bat looks like, we've uh, shared a photograph now uh, on our Twitter page, so I'll come back to that again. Yesterday morning, we were talking about incidents of ageism in the world that we live in today, and I, I do call it ageism because you can see it in many different regards. One woman was on the air, she's 91 years old, and got the fright of her life in a recent insurance renewal for her car. Oh, hang on, hang on a second. I think we may well have bat at this stage. So that was really fast. So as soon as I get an update on that, um, I will uh, bring it up to date. I'm waiting on you if you haven't now. If not, I can come back in a few minutes' time. But anyway, I was saying about this this elderly woman, 91 years old, got a recent insurance renewal, never had a claim or anything, and does all what she needs to do, obeys the rules of the road, and just gets on with things. And her insurance went over a thousand euros, a massive jump. And um, I was wondering why there'd be a kind of a jump like that. Um, so I decided we'd uh, do some research into it. And I looked online to see what age groups have the highest claims. It's very hard to find that kind of information in Ireland. You can find it in the UK, actually. They have data. And um, they, they say that those that apparently have the highest claims are either the very young or the very old. That's what they're saying in the UK anyway. 18 to 20 or 21 year olds. And then after that, Anybody age, say, 85 and upwards. So that's the, it's kind of a loop. Starts high, very young, drops down to all of the uh, age groups in between, and then starts to climb again in later life. They're showing that the data shows that in general, drivers aged, say, over 70, pay higher premiums than those in middle age because they're more likely to make expensive claims. Uh, I asked Paul Kavanagh at MIG, McCarthy Insurance Group, to take a look at that for me and joins me by phone. Let's see if he correlates and agrees with the information. Paul, good morning. Uh, good morning, Neil. And you also waited a long time there, so thank you for it. Did you want to pick up on this? Why would a 91-year-old's insurance policy double? I, I, I actually agree with you. I call it ageism as well, and I believe the insurance companies are, are really... I brought it to their attention. I believe that they're not acting fairly with customers uh, really over 80 years of age. But they might say that because they're getting older and their their reflex skills, perhaps their hearing or vision is not the greatest, that they are more of a risk on the road and are crashing more, perhaps. Is there evidence to show that? 
We have no evidence. Uh, my evidence would be anecdotal. Your original statement is that we have no such figures in Ireland. Speaking to your researcher yesterday, uh, I asked them to see could they find anything in Ireland. I can find nothing. She can find nothing. So, I mean, the central bank have this information. What are they doing? With it? We contacted the central bank yesterday on your advice, and they said that they don't have any of that. We contacted them looking to see if there are statistics available on claims versus premiums versus people's age. We asked them to break down the age groups. We're awaiting a full response, but they did tell us that that they gather, uh, they, they, they said that they don't publish this statistic. Now, what, whether that means, does that mean they don't have it or they won't release it? They have the information, Neil. I can guarantee you that. So whether they publish it or whether they don't collate it, I don't know what they're doing. Okay. But, but you as a broker, wouldn't any have evidence to show that somebody, say, 70 plus would be crashing more, claiming more, uh, or involved in more tips? The only evidence that we have that would, that would back this up is from the insurers. who We have five insurers who will quote people between 70 and 80. But there's, that then reduces to two when they're over 80. And the premiums increase substantially. And I have seen premiums very similar to what your lady yesterday stated. And I think it's absolute, absolutely absurd. Especially, <laughs> I know we're not in that bracket yet, Neil. But we're getting there. And eventually we will be there. You know what I mean? <laughs> True enough. And this is crazy. True enough. The very we're, young... We're age action, I'd, ask, I'd ask where's age, age action Ireland on all this. And is it because the amount of insurance companies that will insure people who are getting on a bit... That, that there's a, there's only a limited supply of them, correct? Okay, That's it. yeah. And at what and at what age then do all of the other ones drop off? A, a number of them, uh, uh, twelve of them drop off at seventy, sixty nine actually. Twelve of them drop off at sixty nine, and three more drop off at at eighty, seventy nine. And when you get into the last bracket of eighty, eighty to ninety plus, there's only two who will coach you. Okay. So at 69, 12 insurance companies in the Irish market drop, up, drop off and won't cover somebody who's 70 years old? Well, they, they'll, they'll offer a, ren- a renewal, maybe. They're, sorry, they're obliged to issue a renewal under the Road Traffic Act uh, if you're a customer of theirs already uh, for, a motor, uh, for a motor car. Yeah. However, uh, if you're looking for an alternative course, like this lady, she only has one other choice. So if somebody is 69 turning 70 then and they want to stay with the same insurance company and they're given a renewal quote, will it be substantially higher? No, we're, we're, not, we're, we're, we're not noticing huge increases in that age bracket, to be honest with you. And there are five insurers quoting, so the, the client could have a choice of six. Well, she said it went over a grand and I'm just wondering if well, that yeah, happening. In, in, in the age bracket over 80, differently. Uh, the premiums we're seeing are over a thousand euros. Okay, um, even though they've got a full no claims bonus and never had a tip, clean, clean as whistle, unbelievable. Okay, and insurers are denying this, by the way. So where are the central bank with their statistics? I don't know. And those statistics would show how many accidents or claims there are for people who are by age group from eighteen to twenty, twenty to twenty-five, and all the way up, wouldn't it? Absolutely. No question about it. So those figures that are available in the UK should be available in Ireland. I'd love if they were available. We could have a great conversation. Okay, well, I can go back to them again and ask them. Um, if CSO wouldn't have that information, would it? 
I don't think so. Okay. No, the CSO okay. would not be taking it as factually as um, the PIB in, in the UK. Okay. And uh, definitely the central bank have been looking for these figures. They've had them for the last five years. They should be able to produce them. I, I just want to go on one point there, Neil, that was made by our last caller. Tom, was it Tom? Yeah. The lad, the, yeah, in fairness to him, I, I agree with everything that he says in relation to this. Do you know that McCarthy's are the last insurance broker that you can walk into on the South Med? It's crazy. I know, I know. I so, I mean, we're going to lose. I, I, say it, I say it to people, I said it to them when they were sitting in the bank, looking at the other banks and saying, oh, it's all machines. We'll all go to machines if we're not careful. We're, we're going to lose the expertise and lose the staff. You can walk into any McCarthy Insurance Group office and talk to the people. Look at the wise of their eyes. Talk to them. And we have a load of elderly people on the north side and the south side of Cork who come into us and have a chat, if nothing else. And we can talk to them about their house insurance or their car insurance. No, I mean, you are, you are not just walking because I renew a lot of policies with you guys, but it's, I do it all online. But the, you, you have footfall through the offices and it's busy, is it? Hugely busy. We have 17 offices and we opened a new one uh, in McCroom only last week with uh, Corrigan Insurances. Uh, and prior to that in Kinsale with Sean Cusick. So the demand is there. People want to talk to people. And what Tom pointed out about his difficulty of online and getting everything done online is absolutely spot on. Mm. If you fit the bill, if you fit into the bracket that they want, yeah, it's grand. The minute you fall outside that bracket like your caller yesterday, they don't want to know. Okay, just one final question before I let you go, because there's text coming in on this. Why is it, and I know the case myself actually as well, why is it that as we went through COVID and people weren't driving and a lot of people were in lockdown and cars weren't on the road, they're getting insurance renewals now where their insurance premiums have gone up, even though claims and the amount of people even on the roads dropped drastically over the last two years? I can't answer that, Neil. And, and that's another question for the central bank. I mean, I, don't, I really don't understand what's, what's happening. They brought in new legislation on the 1st of July to cut out price walking, which is supposed to bring equality to premiums and reward loyalty. I don't see any evidence of, of it so far. It's a fudge in my eyes, and I, I think the whole thing needs to be re-examined, and our politicians locally, who have disappeared off the face of the earth, need to get back on this immediately. So can an insurance company just decide, like, lick your finger, stick it in the air, and decide on yeah. you know, what, what their policy is regarding insurance premium increases? Absolutely, 100%. And they've, they've reaffirmed that to us in recent weeks in discussions with them, where we're saying we thought prices are coming down, not going up. They're saying, oh, we need price increases, inflation, the cost of repairing windscreens, the cost of repairing cars, the uncertainty in the market, all this type of stuff. And all of a sudden, premiums are going back up again rather than coming down. Okay, thanks for taking the call as always. Oh, just, I suppose you don't know as to whether uh, you're insured if you drive without an NCT. A caller here says that her husband was trying to get his NCT test, but it was delayed. It's out of date. Uh, but he has insurance. Can you drive without an NCT if you're insured? And are you insured? Can you drive without tax and be insured? Yes is the basic answer because I think we had this before when I told you you could drive down the wrong side of the melon be covered. But the fact of the matter is you must have tax and NCT, but it cannot affect your insurance. Gotcha, gotcha. Right? Okay. But, but the word of advice is get your get your test date, whatever it is, whatever, you know, and put the copy of it up in the windscreen. Good stuff. 
Good words of advice. Thanks for that, Paul. Appreciate you taking the call. Paul Kavanagh, McCarthy's Insurance Group. Text 0868104106. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. Thank you all so much. I see lots of other texts coming in with regards to Bat. Happy news. Bat has been spotted and he is safe. He's in Blackpool. Fair play to D. She spotted him. She's with him. And Lorna is on the way now to be reunited with her dad in Blackpool. So Bat is safe. He's had a bit of a trip around and thank God the weather was nice and uh, everything is okay and he's safe and well. Uh, so Lorna's on the way to Blackpool to meet her dad and Dee is with Bat and I'll update some more after 10 this morning. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie and you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on the Big Red Bench. That's the Big Red Bench every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Oh, 20 past 9 this morning, Lorna came on because she was very worried because her dad had uh, left the home, left his house with his walker and hadn't been seen. We were very worried about him, wanted to get him back home and safe. Thank you to everybody who texted in. Uh, quite a number of people did spot him in different areas, right down into the city and what have you. But I have great news for you. He has been found. He's safe and well. Apparently, Dee was listening this morning and uh, uh, actually spotted him. And I want to pick up the conversation with Dee first. Dee, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Well, fair play to you. So tell me what happened. You were listening to me and what happened next? Yeah, I just I was out and about dropping kids to camp and all the rest, and you were on in the car, so I heard about Bat being um, going for a walk. So I was just keeping an eye, and uh, I was driving down Blackpool, and he was just walking down the side of the street there by um, Lano's Chipper there, just under the um, the overpass there. Oh yeah, so just, with the walker, going along with his walker. With the walker, so I stopped and jumped out and asked him what his name was, and he said it was Bat, and I said, "Oh, your daughter's looking for you." And, you want to sit into the car while I contact her so then I rang uh, your oh, there that's so lovely <laughs> all done all done we've great old chat about the bosses your daughter's looking for you fair play to you so Lorna morning hey Neil how are you so, I can't thank your listeners <laughs> yourself Claire D enough your godsend thank uh, you no the only people you should be thanking are the people of Cork who came to your aid <laughs> as I knew they would where are you now <laughs> I'm on the way in the car with Bat and going back to his home. We're going down by Silver Springs Hotel now heading up to Mayfield. Ah, that's lovely. Did you have a chat with him? Is he all right? Oh, he's grand. He's in great form. And off he went out to Blackpool. He was from Blackpool as a kid, so that's probably why he went there. And he he's in great form. He had a great, in fairness to me, he had a great old jaunt. He got the bus into the city, <laughs> had a bit of walk around our beautiful city, and then went back, went off to visit his old home <laughs> where he was born and reared in Blackpool. He's the smart one. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's more fit than I thought he was. <laughs> <laughs> All safe and well. Get the kettle on when he gets home then, yeah? <laughs> exactly, exactly. He might even get a can of Guinness now. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> You're never too early for a can of Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Actually, interestingly, we had a text from someone earlier who said that he might have gone back to his family home because apparently it's very common with people of that age to revisit, you know, oh, they, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah the the fond memories draw them back. So Blackpool exactly. makes sense, you know. Yeah, there you go. Now. So nice part of Cork, so that's why you went back. All right. Well, I'm delighted everything worked out, and he's safe and well, Lorna. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, guys. I we wouldn't have found him without you. Thank All right. You. Okay. And in particular to D D. Yeah. You said you're taking the kids to what summer camp? Is it? Yeah, summer camp. Yeah, I have three boys. 
What are they doing? Hurling football? Hurling with Ga? Uh, with, no, one is doing um, a woodwork camp, one is doing a cookery camp, and one is doing sort of a general camp. Well, fair play, fair play. How old are they in today? How many kids have you got? Uh, three. So Jack is 11, Keen is 9, and Liam is 6. How are you finding the summer trying to keep them occupied? Long. <laughs> 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 okay, well, just before you go, just as a thank you, I have some fabulous family passes here, dozens and dozens of them from various wonderful tourist locations across the city and the county. You clearly drive. So I have family yes. passes for Michael Collins oh. House, Spike Island, Cove Heritage Centre, Camden Fort Mar, Skibbereen Heritage Centre, the Clockgate in Yall, the Collegiate Church in Yall, Photo Wildlife Park, Leahy's Farm, UCC, Blackrock Castle Observatory, Leisureplex, Cork City Jail, West Cork Secret, Zippet in Farron Woods, Clonakilty Pudding Visitor Centre, which is fantastic. One of my all-time favourites, the West Cork Model Railway Village in Clonakilty. Would you oh, like? Yeah. Would you like one of them? I would absolutely love one of them, but there's actually no need. But thank you. No, no, so there, much there is no, there is a need. No, there is a need. I'm going to force one on you. There is a need. I want you to. <laughs> which one do you want? <laughs> um, I'd love the Zippet one, please. Zippet. In Farron yep. Woods, I have a family yep. pass for you and yours. Stay on the line. We'll get a postal address. And thank you so, so much. No, thank you so much, Neil. Cheers. Well done, Dee. Fair play to you. Everything sorted. Nice one. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Okay, back to the phone lines. We go, Ashling. good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. Before I, before I come to issues regarding, um, you know, how difficult it is with with uh, sight loss and what have you and not being allowed into places and problems with the guide dog, what kind of vision have you, percent-wise? Um, it'd be a lot of light and kind of shadows and kind of, like, moving. Like, I'd be able to tell, like, from the road now, like, I'd see the, the colour of the road and then the green grass. But, like, any details or anything like that, I wouldn't be able to. So, as I say, okay. it's mainly colour and movement. And they categorise that as about 5% vision, do they? They would, yeah. That or even just slightly less, yeah. My God almighty, no. less than 5%. Yeah. Just colours and shades. Born, um, I was born vision impaired, and it's only in the last 10 years that it actually, like, when I was younger, I got around without the aid of any guide dog or cane and then it's just in the last 10 to 15 years it just dramatically got worse and was that genetic so, on your mother's side I think was it um, and there was a both sides there yeah ok ok so the last 10 years serious rapid deterioration yeah you're and, only, and you're only 42 know. like you're very young very young yeah yeah. But I think they say before, I don't know if there's any kind of tin in it, but um, sometimes they say that because I was never fully sighted, that um, I can't miss what I did, what I never had. But um, in one way, I suppose I am kind of tin glad that I was born visually impaired, that, like, that I, don't, well, I wasn't fully sighted, because I would know then the true tin of losing your full sight. I know, but that's of little consolation to you. I mean, you know, uh, up until say 10 years ago, it was an awful lot better. I mean, you could enjoy the outdoors more, you could move around more, you could rec- could you recognise people, colours, nature, things like that? Yeah, I would be able to, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I mean, that's, that, that's, that's a fairly rapid deterioration in sight. Um, you, you were saying that, okay, because I know you live off, off Blarney Street and you, you try and get on with life as best you can. 
Um, but you're you're alone. You have a daughter as well, don't you? Yeah, she's seven. Yeah. Okay. And how how is the child rearing going? Um, younger now. I kind of found it a bit difficult, you know, like because I I just got very worried about um like you know bottle feeding and all of this. But we just I just learned how to kind of do it, maybe in slightly different ways, you know. Would I be kind of putting in too much of this or too much liquid and stuff? Um, like when we go to the park now, I would just put on really bright coloured clothes on her. And like I have kind of said to her that every maybe five or six minutes that she just needs to come back and check in with me so that I know that she hasn't kind of gone off, you know. Yeah. And does she? Oh, she would. Yeah. Now, when I would tell her five minutes, it might be 10 minutes before she comes back. But she does. She has got used to it and she knows not to run off too far and that. And I suppose as a seven year old daughter now, she's a great help to you at that age. She would be, yeah, but I try not to kind of put too much, um, oh, I try not to make her feel as if she has to be doing loads of things for me, you know, like um, one day there I asked her, like I dropped something and I couldn't find it and I asked her, could she p- pick it up from her, could she find it? And she kind of said, oh, I wish you had your sight, she says, like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like it was only um, a kind of a childhoody kind of thing, you know, for her to say that. But, I know. Yeah. But you did say that you're af- you're afraid that her memories of her mam will be getting refused entry to places yeah unfortunately that's one of the um downsides that i seem to be experiencing a lot at the moment um as i said i got my first guide dog in 2019 um and during the last three, four weeks, I've had two refusals into two different premises. One was in Cork City and um, the other one was up in Cashel. So, um, and you go to the up, door, you and your guide dog, your daughter as well? Yeah, my daughter, uh, yeah, she would be with me most of the time, yeah. Um, and um, you want to go in for a bit of lunch or a coffee or something, is it? Yeah, we would just go in and we'd be having a great day. Would totally have even forgot about any kind of disability or anything that I would have. Be just getting on with your usual day. And the next minute you go inside the door and you'd be just told, sorry, uh, our policy is no dogs. And then you have to go through the whole story again. But this is a um, fully qualified working guide dog. She's allowed in and all of this. And... Um, sometimes they will then back down and they, you will be allowed in but you're made feel very uncomfortable when you're in there you know and you kind of feel as if there's people looking at you and all of this because they've just so the, some, some begrudgingly allow you in they would yeah okay but one in particular in Cork that I don't want to name just yet um, yeah. uh, do we actually know this cafe have you told us the Cork cafe yeah, but the one okay, in the I don't, I don't, was, want, um, I don't want to know the name of it. Fru- but it wasn't a food premises; it was just um, a museum place in Cork. Okay, and, and what did they say to you? They just said that they didn't know that what their policy. Yeah, we were. They just said that they didn't know what their policy on um, dogs were. And then I said, well, stay legally, I said, she's allowed in. And then in the end, he just let me in. But he just said he wanted me to leave at the start. He wanted me to leave the dog behind the desk. The guy dog. And then I... Yeah, and I just felt when he said that uh, to me at that particular time, I just feel, do you realise that you're just taking my eyes away from me by asking me to leave Correct. the dog behind the desk? Yeah. Yeah. What did he say to that? 
he he just he just stood there and he just wasn't sure what to say to me. He he's um, what he, he should be saying to you is there anything I can do to help you? That's what he should be saying to you, actually. Yeah. Okay. And the cafe in Cashel, what did they say to you? I just walked inside the door and I was just, the minute I walked inside the door, the door didn't even get a chance to close and I was just greeted with, um, sorry, no dogs. And that particular day, um, the person with me said that legally that they are, because I have a card from the Hilton Safety um, to say that the dogs are allowed in. And when we produced this, he started laughing at us. Now, um, now, this particular gentleman, he was non-Irish. So if it's got, if it comes down to just people's um, not having enough training around this issue mm. or what, I don't know. Yeah, I have, I have to say to you that it's it's irrelevant where the the, the chap was from, whether he was Irish yeah, or not. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether he was an employee there, or whether he owned the business, or whether he, if he was an employee. He was ignorant yeah, of the rules or the laws, know. or nobody has sat him down and explained who can and can't come in. But he didn't let you in, did he? No, the, in the end, we did stay there. Like, he went to win, he made a phone call, and we sat down while he was making this phone call. And as I said, we don't know who he was on the phone to. And he came back in the end, and he just said, what type of dog did you say it was again? And so once we drank the cup of tea, within five minutes, I just said to my partner, come on, we'll go. Because um, I just felt so uncomfortable in there. I knew we weren't wanted. Yeah, you weren't wanted. And you were there. He was begrudgingly allowing you there without you actually getting a welcome. Come on in. Yeah. Sure, it would be fairly obvious with somebody who was only 9% sight, wouldn't it? It would be, 5% yeah. 5% yeah. sight. I mean, it was like you kind of would know as you were moving around, he could tell that you were... Pretty much oh, unsighted, yeah. like. And the um and, and taxis. Um, taxis at the moment. Um, I try to avoid taxis. Um, when I can, if it came to getting a taxi now or walking, I would walk. Um, because I just find that a, a lot of taxi drivers are very when they do take yeah, they'd be talking about oh the the amount of hair that the dog is going to leave in the car, the smell the dog is going to leave in the car. They won't get uh, the next customer that they'll um, that they'll be talking about the smell of the dog. And I've had one refusal, and um, I know a lot of people that have had refusals as well with their dogs. Yeah, there's a report out recently regarding people complaining about taxis, right, to the NTA. Uh, and a lot of them actually have been complaining about the condition and cleanliness of taxis, with a lot of people mm. complaining about staining on the seats and the smell from the taxi being appalling. I'm just wondering whether some of those smells might have been from dogs. More complained, though, that uh, taxi drivers were refusing to take their guide dog um, and they were subsequently fined for that, which means that's got to be illegal, doesn't it? It has, yeah, it is, yeah. It's illegal not to take a blind person where a sight, an unsighted person or limited sighted person with a guide dog, mm. is it? Oh, it is, yeah. Um, I actually know one, I, I know a girl and she has a family member that's actually a taxi driver and he's gone as far as, he's got no allergies whatsoever and he's gone as far as getting his GP to write a letter so to say that he's allergic to dogs when he's not, and then um, he can produce this to say that he's allergic to dogs and he can't take you. 
Okay, yeah, that's sad, isn't so it? So when you're when you're faced with that, like you'd be thinking, who's in the wrong there? The actual GP for writing the letter when he knows that his patient doesn't have an allergy or what? Right. I'd love to get people who are listening's thoughts on this. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six because I can understand that there would be dog hair and there would be a, a bit of a smell, particularly if the dog if it was raining and the dog was in the you know the taxi and it's wet. But but the, law, we, the um, law, yeah, the law is the law though. We groom our dogs, we're to groom our dogs from that every day because we know that when we're going out into public places that that's the last thing that um, people want to be dealing with is smells and unclean dogs. So we, we are to clean our dogs and groom them each day. But what is the advice for somebody who has a guide dog and has refused entry to a, an establishment or indeed into a taxi? It, it's, it's, illegal, it's illegal to refuse um, somebody who has a guide dog apparently. Yeah, the- should, should you gas for their number or their licence? I would normally ask for their name and their license and um, a number and that and then I would just go to the appropriate authorities and I would just report my situation that I had with the particular premises or taxi or whatever, whoever Yeah, because I'm getting texts on this straight away. Tell Ashling to take a case to the workplace relations. You should, you should be allowed to bring the guide dog everywhere, uh, whether that's into the taxi. You should also get the name of the museum and the name of the cafe and report them, they will be heavily fined. Yeah. What other issues do you come up against? Um, when you're out and about there, um, dog fouling on the street, it's um, as good as the dog is to me, with, but avoiding obstacles. The dog poo on the footpath, she could miss that at times, which is a slip hazard. I nearly slipped one day. I actually stood in it. Um... So yeah. I think our streets and our, our paths, especially that they do need to be monitored more, and with this dog littering problem that we seem to be having, um, wouldn't, wouldn't, issue, need, wouldn't need any of that monitoring if people just picked up after their dog. Yeah, um, I don't know what it is, and I don't know what more training or education we can give people about the importance of picking up their dog poo, but. Um, another issue is um, public transport. Um, when we're on it, it's the announcement of the next stops, which there, there there's none. I could get on my number. I live up the north side there, Blarney Street, so I would get the number two bus home. And I know where I get off because I have the route now, so into my in, into my head. But there's no actual audible announcement of what stops are next on any of the buses. I like there would be on a tube or on um, certainly on a train. I know what you mean. On the train, yeah, yeah. Now there is apps in that that you can download onto your phone. And I know a lot of visually impaired blind people that use them, and they would have in the headpieces. Um, but they shouldn't have to rely on that. Um, I wouldn't be very like kind of up to date and all this tech stuff. No, no, but has anybody so, ever said that or suggested that to uh, Bus Erin, for instance, National Council yes, for the Blind? Yes, um, there is, I think, a local advocacy network and we're currently at the moment trying to deal with some of these issues with the people. I understand how that would make a huge difference to a blind person. What stop I need to get off at? When bringing your daughter to school, uh, cars parked on curbs and crossings. Confuses oh, the guide yeah, dog. Oh yeah, that's a that's a that's a big thing. Um, when we go out, like especially just parking at an actual like crossing, the dog has to try, then try to go out around the back of the car, and we're out in the middle part of the road then for longer because we have to avoid the cars that are actually stopped at the crossings. 
That's a problem for you. It's also a problem for wheelchair users and what have you, not to mind people with buggies and, and things like that. But, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're unsighted. Um, you're walking along, and of course, particularly in the growing season, uh, overgrown hedges uh, scratching your oh, face. Yeah. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I often get it there. My face, my eye, my ear. Um, especially down along Glarney Street there, there's um, a particular wall there's where the monastery is there's all of this overgrown hedging and that and like I'm only five foot one and a half so that'll tell you like how far overgrown it is and it You must get an awful you- fright if all of a sudden the side of your face is scratched by briars or your, oh your, yeah definitely yeah. because especially if it goes into your eye because then straight away that can um, set in <coughs> infection into your eye again and any bit of infection then could attack any little bit of sight that I do have left like the bit of light prescription that I do have so it's basically another trip out to the eye casualty then and oh another bit of hedging in the eye again so they have to kind of clean out the eye to make sure that there'll be no infection set in. And tell me is there anything people should be doing when they see somebody who's blind or partially sighted with a guide dog should they ask them if they need help or they are you very independent Yeah I think that's most important in if you do see somebody like out there and if they do look a little bit kind of confused or if they're not kind of quite sure where they are or if they're waiting at a crossing um always make sure that when you approach them that you introduce like oh hello would you like some help um there is some people out there that you could be standing waiting for the green man and the next minute before you even know it they just come along and they grab you by the elbow and you're at the other side of the road and you aren't even asked whether if you wanted the help or not. I know. I see Sarah will be coming on with me soon and she's going to make some interesting points about sandwich boards outside cafes and things like that. Obstacles put in your way. I know you mentioned the cars constantly parking and she is as well yeah. on curbs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, outdoor, outdoor dining's become a big challenge for blind people. Oh, is, um, like she's going to make that very- point anyway but I just said I'd say to you it's a very big hazard for myself because when people are doing their outdoor dining um, you've the legs of the chairs that kind of stick out and then people if they've just done a bit of shopping you've all the bags and everything like so these were, these would all be trip hazards as much as the dog can try to bring you around most of it there is trip hazards there Okay. Listen, you, you, you are aware, though, under Irish human rights and equality. Thank you. I got this from Claire. She says that guide dogs are permitted, permitted access to all forms of public transport, buses, trains, trams, taxis, planes or ferries. If a taxi doesn't take you, then you report the taxi and it can be fined. All forms of accommodation, Airbnb, hostels, holiday rental properties, hotels, everything. All establishments that provide food, including cafes, restaurants, pubs, delis and supermarkets, you cannot by law be refused. You know that, don't you? Yeah, I do. I do yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Ashling, um, anything else you wanted to cover? Because I know this is uh, awareness for blindness, blindness and, and sight loss. Anything else? Um, there's just uh, the traffic light system um, I don't know where we kind of seem to be going with it like traffic lights they, they'd work for a while and then the audio on them then could be gone again two or three days later so um, I think we've uh, a lot of work to do in getting the traffic lights um, up and running properly We need to stay on the ball on this and can I ask you Ashley will you eventually lose all remaining vision? If it could go, um, we, we, it's just something we just don't know. In the last year or two, it just seems to be at a standstill. It seems to be stable in the last year or two with that big dramatic drop that I had there from the last eight to ten years. 
So it's something that I do worry about when I go to bed at night time. And actually, my bedroom at home, it has an ensuite bathroom and there's a window. And the first thing I do every morning when I wake up, I look towards the, that bathroom window. And if I see the light, I still know I have the vision oh that I have. Oh, my God. But can you see your daughter's beautiful face if you get right up close to her? Right up close to her, yeah, I can. So, um, and I'm just trying to, to, what would you say, embed that into my memory just because in case if it did ever go, at least oh, I would have Ashling, that's the so memory. Sad. That would be the greatest loss of all to you, wouldn't it? I think it would be, and I think like even like each day, like um, next year now, she's due to make her communion. So sometimes I'm thinking if I can get as far as next May, just to even get to that milestone, you know, and then I'd be happy that I would have seen her on her communion day. I know. And just little milestones like that, that sound kind of maybe That we take for granted the rest of us, I know. I know. And they're not stupid at all. Ashley, look after yourself. I try not to stress out about it too much because stress could could be a big um, influence in the way that the eyes go and if I get too stressed out about it. Well, listen, look look after yourself. Uh, we have some beautiful family passes, some gorgeous passes to go out and about across our fair city and county. You could take a bus with your daughter to one of them. If I put you back on hold, would you like to pick one of the, fam- one of the family passes to go to one of our tourist attractions? That'd be great. Okay. So I'll put you back on hold. Pick one and the lads will tell me where you're going to go with your daughter and enjoy it, you know? Okay, thanks very much. Okay, Ashling, take care. Nice talk to you. You Bye. too. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. You may remember uh, a court case at the back end of June where a woman by the name of Sonia Egan uh, was jailed following a campaign of harassment and intimidation and stalking and victimization of the former Sinn Féin TD, Jonathan O'Brien, and a Cork woman by the name uh, of Laura O'Connell. Um, just from the court reports at the time, Egan um, uh, made all sorts of uh, very, very damaging and evil um, uh, references and claims against uh, not just uh, Laura but uh, Jonathan O'Brien, the Cork TD. She told him she loved him. Um, she uh, said that uh, she uh, engaged in a, a campaign of uh, harassment against uh, against Jonathan O'Brien when he um, spurred her advances. She said awful things about him. Uh, he distanced herself himself from Egan at the time. Then she started making bullying bullying allegations against. Jonathan O'Brien and indeed at the same time against Laura O'Connell uh, at one stage she was in fact Jonathan O'Brien went to the Guardian and reported all of this um, he was saying that he would receive upwards of a uh, hundred text messages daily from uh, from Egan she at one stage turned up at, at Leinster House apparently uh, she falsely posted uh, social media comments that she was pregnant and had lost the baby due to the bullying of Jonathan O'Brien and the bullying of Sinn Féin. Now, I recall those posts at the time and I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, what's going on here? So you can imagine the amount of rumour and gossip that was going around at the same time. Well, that all ended up uh, in the criminal court there at the back end of of June. And Laura O'Connell gave a victim impact statement to the court. 
um, where she talks about the years of harassment and fear and intimidation and how she is now only a shadow of her former self. She says, I'm a broken woman. I'm on my knees because of Egan. She says that she has put an end to restful night's sleep. She's put an end to me feeling safe, to giving me any peace of mind in my life. I've had four years of trauma because of this woman. Um, She and others, uh, accomplices of Egan, uh, would follow her, intimidate her, watch her, torment her. She lives now in a life where she flinches at every noise. She panics at the sound of a doorbell. This is all from her victim impact statement. She says that she's afraid that she's being followed or or watched. Um, She says due to the media content, the social media content of Egan, uh, others then bullied her. There was gossip. There was other confrontations from other people. There was accusations and remarks. She described Egan as a menace to society who ultimately had crippled um, Laura financially because she has a huge financial bill now that she owes to a solicitor uh, because of the uh, civil actions of restraint that she took against Egan at the time. Um, And that legal bill actually is north of €26,000 and... um, I think that the bill has now gone to the Cork City Sheriff. I mean, Egan made several malicious allegations uh, against um, Laura um, to the Gardaí, uh, to Tusla, and of course, as I say, to members of the public, and so set up indeed many, many fake social media accounts. She'd bang on her door. She said she'd cause public scenes. Uh, she would follow her. She had uh, she'd record her. She'd have others video her. She'd accost her on the street. She accused her of being the reason why she miscarried a baby, why Egan miscarried a baby. She said she was going to take her own life. Uh, she said that uh, Laura was involved in paedophile rings, drug dealing, drinking with minors. Awful, awful stuff. Um, and with that in mind, I'm joined by the very brave uh, Laura O'Connell uh, by phone. Laura, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How does that make you feel when you hear all that again? Yeah, you know, as you read it, um, yeah, I had to blink my eyes and hold back the tears. It's actually still quite hard to hear back. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's yeah, it's still difficult to hear. And there is so much more to that. There, they're just some of the issues that I've taken from court reports, from your victim impact statement. But can we wind the clock back? Um, to what, mm-hmm. 2018, because you, amongst many other things in your life, were also a community activist, isn't that right? And is that how you came across Sonia Egan? And, and can I also ask you, was it through Sinn Féin? Um, yes, I, I met her at a community meeting. As a resident here, I'd been involved in lots of different groups and cleanups and residence associations, environmental matters, and... Sinn Féin came in and railroaded the community group campaign. And I don't include Jonathan here in this. It was mostly local councillors at the time. And what I've now learned is they organised their members to attend these meetings to get majority votes. So that's where I meet her. But at that time in 2018, it was a very pivotal year for me. Two years previous, I was recovering from viral encephalitis, which is a virus and a swelling to the brain. And I was in hospital for a long stint of time. And it took two years to get back on my feet and recover somewhat. You had Lyme disease as well, didn't you? 
Yes, I got the diagnosis then of Lyme disease through all of those investigations. So you were sick and so, exhausted as it was without all of this exactly. coming down the track. Yeah. All my savings were gone. I, I then became dependent on social welfare and also for the last year of that St. Vincent de Paul just to put food on the table. I'm a lone parent. But to overcome um, the ending of my, my corporate career, I have 20 plus years in the corporate world, several degrees, lots of great experience and had worked so hard. I thought it was better to set up the self-employed to move me forward. And then that started just at the same time that I was setting up my business. Okay. No, I'm just Um, curious with with regards to the Sinn Féin connection, to be fair to all those concerned. I mean, were you a registered member of Sinn Féin? Was Sonia Egan signed up to Sinn Féin? No. Okay. No, no I wasn't. I, I'm, I have no affiliation to Sinn Féin. I am on great terms with all of the politicians uh, because we all work together in this area. Okay. I will now exclude Sinn Féin from that realm. But she was a member of Sinn Féin and had, she was invited by them to go to, to this meeting. She was and a member of Sinn Féin. That answers my question. Correct. Thank you. She yes. approached you then saying that she was a barrister and an investigative journalist who wanted to help the campaign. But over a period of time, I believe, you thought that things weren't adding up. Smelt a rat, if you like, and backed off. Yes, I tried to distance myself. She's a very, she was a very persistent woman. Um, We were all doing this uh, in a voluntary capacity in in our free spare time. Um, But this woman was persistent. And you just know, you you listen to your gut and something's not right here, especially when you turn up to a meeting in a barrister's outfit as well. Did she turn up, did did she turn up at a community meeting in barrister's gowns? Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, you, you kind of something's off. Yeah, yeah. So did you did you tell her that you how did you how did she get the how did the penny drop that you didn't want any more to do with her? It was somebody had said to me, "Be very careful. She's not who." she says she is and then I started to ask around because I had no idea who this person was, um, and it's that's when. I realised she's not a barrister. She's not an investigative journalist. Um, and then I made that known to her. It's like, I now know who you are and you're not being honest. And we've no more reason to communicate or be in contact. And was it at that stage then that the harassment and the maliciousness began? Yes, that's how it started. Um, I think when you take a stand to her, it it aggravates her uh, in a way. So all the messages, and I, I got bombarded with text message after text message, phone call after phone call. I had to block her. Then it started on Facebook. Then it started on Messenger. Then fake profiles on Facebook, Facebook profile fake profiles on messenger and uh, for as quick I was blocking there was another one popping up or a new number um and then that's when the in-person harassment started banging down my door following me um yeah it, it started off small like that now that's small in comparison to what it grew into um but 
yeah, that that was that's how it all kicked off. Okay, um, was saying those, no. Yeah, those, those texts and those messages and the posts online. I think at one stage she had set up something like sixteen different Facebook pages, wasn't that right? One would close and another one would open. Um, what was the messaging? Was it was it nasty? Uh, it was mostly around trying to credit her it could be a family member it could be an associate and as you can see there from some of the evidence Jeremy Corbyn and Jerry Conlin would have been some of those associates um, pretending to message from her children's profiles and it was at that stage it was time for me then to go to the Gardaí I was getting a lot of suicide messages from her as well um and it was just emotional blackmail and okay. emotional wear down is what she was attempting at the very beginning. And you said in court that she claimed to be the daughter of the former Labour Party leader, Jeremy Corbyn. That was the reference you made there. There was bullying mm. um, as well, as you say, clearly. Uh, she said that uh, you were causing her to have suicidal thoughts. Was it that you caused a, a miscarriage? Um, um, would, she, would, she turn up every, would she turn up everywhere you were, was it? It was in the most random of places, whether it was personal to do with my son, whether it was sports clubs near school, um, even, you know, me kind of going to business meetings. I even had a, a family law case at one point and she turned up there in court and she just really knew what I was up to and where I was going. She knew my routine and schedule a lot better than I knew myself, to be honest. Did she say anything when she would she turn up? When would she just stand back or approach you or approach you at meetings or if you were socializing with others? Um, the majority of the time she would just stand and watch and make me uncomfortable, quite creepy, or she'd be in a car park or she'd she'd just be there and record me on her phone. And then other times, which I could never predict, she would rant and rave and cause a public scene. So it was very volatile and unpredictable to how to handle this in the best way possible. After a few months of all of this happening uh, with the Gardaí's support, I would then have to ring the guardy every time then that she would turn up or be there okay. or cause a scene. Okay, so you, you've, you've introduced the guardy into the conversation now. Thank you. So you went to the guardy yeah. Jacona. They arrested her, mm-hmm. I believe, right? They did. Um, and she swore an undertaking to, to keep away from me. And with the minute she was released... Um, she failed to do so. She then went on social media, Facebook mostly. She would do YouTube videos and she would just gather support from other conspiracy groups. And then that's when it got pretty heavy. And what was she? Hand. Yeah, because you said at one stage every crazy in Ireland was working in her corner against you. So mm. what, she she had actually turned the tables and was actually making accusations against you that were false, but they were actually true of her. Do you follow me? Yes, yes. She was saying that you were the bully, that you were harassing her, that you were stalking her, was it? That you were causing her I to... Had, yeah. Correct. I had initiated some 
sort of campaign was in cahoots with the HSC in Tusla, trying to get her children taken over. Um, uh, you know, she alleged I'd gone to her door, broken down her door and beat uh, her young son up and that I had beaten her up to cause her to miscarry. And she was in fear of her life. And it was, as you said, the tables had turned. Okay. and. Okay. She was so clever in how she did that, but it attracted so much dangerous and unwarranted attention then from other random It did, actually. I think you told Mick Clifford in a podcast that it unleashed a pack of wolves. Correct. Um, She really did feed me to a pack of wolves. And then when it came to the injunction stage, that was genuinely the worst time of my life. And for me to say the worst time of my life, considering what I'd already previously overcome, it was so scary and harrowing. Months of going in, in relation to, we we obviously had gotten an injunction with three other people um, and it was every breach and every adjournment due to a suicide attempt, due to her going missing. Um, And it was just these other crazy people that were there intimidating, threatening us, recording us going to and from court. Um, I had to be guard escorted for my own safety. Yeah, you are describing the civil injunction that you had to personally take against her to stop her, to get her to back off, to desist, right? Um, and of course, you took Correct. this. This you, you you took this privately, and it's not a no fall, no fee. You got to pay at the end of this. I think you originally thought this could have been four or five thousand euro. It turned out to be multiples of that. Ultimately, didn't it? Yes, okay. it did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And while this was going on, then some individual calls to your house and says that he's a social worker, right? Yeah, there there was a couple turned up at my house who are known to Sonia. Um, and I took them, I believed them, and they came into my home and got so much personal information out of me. Um, and I never knew till months down the line the connection or the association until I had to do um, whatchamacallit uh, identification identification through the Gardaí yeah and you recognise one of them okay so yes so why did they say because they weren't social workers but why did they say they were calling as social workers well in hindsight now it makes better sense because there were a lot of anonymous complaints and allegations went into Tusla and then I had this social worker come to my door yes now they had turned up to my door without me even being aware of the allegations at this stage but then about maybe a month later Tusla themselves got in contact with me and I started to tell them, well, didn't you visit here about oh four weeks God ago? Almighty. It's like something out of a horror movie. Yeah, it really was. How and did I'd you keep it together? How did you keep it together? I have no idea. I think at the time uh, with my son was doing junior search that year. You know, I think he would have been my main driver um, to to keep it together. I mean, he did see me crumble emotionally from time to time and understandably so. But I couldn't even tell him 
everything that was going on because I was trying to protect him from a lot of it. It's just yourself and, and then, your 18 year old son, isn't there? Here is a paragraph yeah. from your victim impact statement. During those last four years, my now 18 year old son was sitting as junior cert and later on his leaving cert through all of this. A proud sporting young man to both his rugby and GA clubs, boasting high grades and all Ireland medals. Sonia Egan made it her mission to stop this and hurt and cause harm to my son. His future has been impacted by Sonia Egan's behaviour, but he has also had to witness his mother being torn apart to the point of collapse, which no child should ever have to behold. I hope you don't find that upsetting because I, as a parent, even find it upsetting reading it when I think of, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, the delicacy of our relationship with our sons and daughters, you know. That's it. And you have to mind and prioritize them so much. Um, he now knows everything, obviously. Obviously, with it going into court, everything becomes public. So then I had to sit with him and explain exactly what went on. And his level of anger actually was, was frightening. I know. Um, he's just, he's so protective. He would and be. He's yeah. so yeah. cross. Yeah, son would be. Yeah. And yeah. He's lost all faith and respect in the court systems with the Gardaí. He doesn't understand the way the Gardaí's hands are tied. There's only so much that they can do because protection systems and courts is so long and arduous. There's nothing immediate and there's nothing even in the interim to keep somebody safe okay. from all of this. And that's why you had the civil injunctions and took the civil case. And um, every time that she'd break it, you'd go back into court. And would she have to go to court again then and promise to stop, is it? She had given an undertaking. And in fact, she was already imprisoned for a breach of the injunction um, and she got out early from that as well but it just wasn't working and at that point Facebook were attached onto it her husband was attached to it other conspiracy group leaders were attached to it and it was just getting so out of control that in the end I said stop I have enough this isn't working I need to I need to walk away from all of this, close myself and lock myself indoors and pray for the best, because that's all I could do at that stage. Nothing was working. Laura, it really is very kind of you and patient of you to tell us your story on the air this morning. I hope you can just hold on for a few minutes because I want to pick up on the rest of our conversation after the news. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. I'm in conversation with uh, Laura O'Connell, who was... Uh, the victim of an ongoing campaign of harassment and intimidation at the hands of Sonia Egan, who was recently jailed uh, for two years at Cork Circuit Criminal Court. Uh, so uh, at this stage, Laura, the Gardaí did pursue it, right? And the DPP did bring it to criminal trial, right? Yes, they did. Okay. And credit words due to Sergeant John Sheehy. I think I'm extremely fortunate to have had him allocated to my case because he is a credit to his profession. He went above and beyond as far as I'm concerned and uh, a huge pillar 
of support in the on, the only way that he could be because as well his hands were tied. Okay. Um, now, uh, so we're in court for the criminal prosecution, um, mm-hmm. but there was a guilty plea and I believe an apology. Was that it? That was it. Um, and I was fully prepared on the day that she pled guilty that we were going into a trial. Um, and last minute she, she pled guilty. So uh, it was a shock to all of us involved in that. And has she stood over that uh, guilty plea? And has she stood over that apology? Because she's in jail now and will be for uh, change out of two years. So she pled guilty back in, was it February or May? It was February, mm. May and June, I think. Yes. So back in February, I think, oh, you might have to correct me there. Um, she pled guilty, which we weren't expecting. Again, there were strict bail conditions imposed on her, but there was, she would still show up and turn up probably a little less often but would still be around and still be there um and i think one time she lost her temper um but i had the bail you know i had the bail condition there as as a measure of safety and i wish they were there from dot one to be honest yeah the when she pled guilty within 24 hours she had emailed the Taoiseach and the Minister of Defence and the Chief Superintendent and every politician and reporter and said that she was protecting somebody else and that she actually wasn't guilty. So in one hand, she says it, but her behaviour says something different. It's incredible. It's just incredible. Mm. Um, So she goes off to jail. Did you feel, was there any sense of relief when there was a jail sentence handed down? Um, no, I remember, I remember, I remember the sentencing being given out uh, and the judge really recognising and acknowledging the pain and torture that I and Jonathan had gone, had gone through and made loads of references to the victim impact statements and I had personally read out mine in court the mm. month previous mm. um, I think I, I was a bit numb I remember leaving the courtroom and I remember seeing Jonathan crying and I remember seeing the sergeant crying and I was just I don't know an outer body experience I was I don't know I didn't really grasp and I wasn't fully grounded with what was going on but the following morning, my goodness, did it hit me. When when did you actually, yeah, in what way, like a ton of bricks, in, as in relief, is it, or anger, or what, the next morning? Emotion. Um, I think I cried for days on end afterwards. Uh, it was finally to feel heard that I can now speak up, because it's a huge pressure for four years to not jeopardise the case. You couldn't talk about it. You'd be very careful uh, in in who you could say it to. Um, even in terms of counselling and therapists to help me through this, it's am I allowed to say this? Can I trust this person? Um, but it, it was just finally for me, it was acknowledgement and feeling heard. Um, was there any relief when you found out that Jonathan O'Brien was going through something equally as horrific as you? And was there any contact between you and Jonathan, a very honourable, hard-working Corkman, incidentally, who's never said boo to a fly? Not unlike you. Uh, was there, like, talk to me about that. 
Well, again, I'd known Jonathan in a political capacity the same way as every other politician in, in in my locality. But it was when she started to post publicly on Facebook his name and then my name. Naturally, I reached out to him and we started talking and started sharing about what I was experiencing, what he was experiencing. And what he was experiencing was was way worse at the time than, than what I was. Yeah, um, um, it, do you, I, I hate interrupting, but there's just so much information oh. just on the point you've just made there. When the Guardi seized her, her phone, they found uh, that she made 5,500 calls, texts and social media messages to Jonathan O'Brien. Just think about that. Mm. Did you have a similar volume as that? Uh, no, I didn't. Five and but a half. Not only did they take, they took her phone, but they also took my phone as evidence. And I would imagine I, I can't speak for Jonathan, but I would imagine the same. So, in gathering all of this evidence, there's a huge disruption to your own life. So I had to give my phone over as well to allow them to technically do whatever they needed to do on their side. You kept all of that, did you? did yeah um and uh massive files uh, and for harassment and bullying you've got to build up a pattern and a history and you're advised to keep a diary uh, and a log um and that consumes you to to do that your phone just becomes awash with her she really just came in and took over and stumped all over my life. Yes, yes, um, yes. And that's why I say in my, in my statement that I'm not myself anymore. And when you're a lone parent, you build up this natural strength and resilience because you sacrifice and you make do when you go without. It's, it's very hard to raise um, a son by yourself. But whoa, did she test all of that. And... But yeah, I, I, I'm not resilient and strong enough to endure that consistently well, day upon day, yes, hour but, after uh, hour. I know that, but you are still here. You fought the fight. You were strong. You were brave. You continued. Were there times at any stage, and I don't mean to upset you, where you thought, I just can't go on with this? Or was it your son? Yeah, was, was, it, was, your, was it your son kept us here, kept you here? Both myself and my son um, had very dark moments, being honest about it. And that's about as much as I want to say on it, Neil, to be honest. I know, I know. Can it I, was hurt. I know, I know. Sure, absolutely. Even chatting with me now, you're reliving it all again. And I am very obliged to you for that, <laughs> difficult and all as it is. Are you all right? Yeah. Do you like to take a break? Yeah, sorry. No, I'm good, thanks. Okay, okay. Okay. As you said, she ruined your life. Here's where we are now, though. If you're okay to continue, Laura. Here's where we are now. Because yeah. Egan has appealed, hasn't she? She's appealed the severity of the sentence, um, which for me goes against her apology. I knew she was going to appeal anyway. Um, and it's just, it's never going to be over. And, and even though the, the judge as part of the sentencing for seven years, you know, she's not allowed to contact or be near our homes or our family. Um, I don't believe that's not, that's not going to stop her. Do you believe that this nightmare uh, will kick off again if she ever comes, when, if yes. and when she com- comes out? You do? I do. Uh, and I worry as well about others 
um, who are going to be who are going to act in her absence, so to speak. Um, the pack of wolves that you referred to earlier. Yeah, and I think going on my experience over the the, the time of the injunction, um, it aggravates her so much when you stick up to her, and when you fight back. That that's my next fear is what revenge now is she going to seek and what more is she going to do? And does that mean that you might be actively considering moving, starting somewhere else? Yeah. Uh, Mud sticks at the end of the day. Um, The rumours and the gossiping that was going around was the most hurtful. I lost friends. I lost associates. Um... And I suppose that's probably one element of this is maybe now they might realise none of this was true. But when you say you lost friends and associates, okay, but they they must have come back to you. I, I suppose that's been the most astonishing part of this. Not many people have come to me since the court and the sentencing and the revelations. Um whether they don't know about it or not many people. Um, yeah, those, those who I lost along the way haven't come come along to kind of check in or I don't know. And I, and I can't speak for them, but there's been a lot of loss. And in all, sure, in all of that loss, of those, those who would have been friends and associates, did any of them take you to task about it or were any of them nasty to you about it? Not nasty, but couldn't understand why I wasn't making myself available or I wasn't coming along to meet them. I was making excuses. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm busy right now. I, I can't. And I was doing it for their sake as well, to keep them safe. How do you come out and say, I can't meet you right now because I've got this crazy woman following me and stalking me? It was, it was just the most bizarrest time and it's very hard to explain mm. well, it. you don't have to explain. And it's very hard for people to understand it. But I do hope they understand better now. I'm bewildered by it. This, just the sheer size of it, the length of time and the absolute viciousness of it all, I have to say. Um, so, so you worry that this is not over. Um, and have mm. you been diagnosed with PTSD because of all of this? I have, um, and it's only natural that that I have that. And I see, I'm, I'm, I jump a lot. I'm jumpy. If I don't see you coming before you get to me, I'll jump and I'll get a fright. Um, it's, I, I don't rest easy when I leave the house. I'm looking around me. So this is how it's affected me consciously. Um, My sleep has been disrupted. I I sleep super light because I'm listening. I'm on full alert. Mm. Um, And yeah, the the mind just doesn't stop and it drains me. And one of the the big, most important parts of Lyme is avoid stress. Yeah, Lyme disease. And impossible. So it sets me back sometimes and in my health as well. Do you ever ask yourself, why me? I did. Um, I did. And I think I still don't know mm-hmm. that answer. Uh, there is no passion to her behavior. She just becomes obsessed 
And it seems to be very strong, independent professionals. Um, but yeah, it's a good question. Why me? But I am proud of the fact and I'm proud of Jonathan as well. Um that we went down that road and we we stuck at it um, and we've gotten somewhere but where that somewhere is right now I don't know because, because you don't know what could happen next yeah yeah. that's it but it's at what cost you know at what cost to uh, emotionally and psychologically financially um, you know all the guardian and courts involvement meant I then wasn't working, which means I then wasn't earning. Mm. Um, you know, we talk about the legal fees, but there isn't even supportive resources there around counselling and psychology. And I'm on waiting lists. And yeah, I know. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's been a huge cost and a massive disruption. And it's been destructive more so than disruptive. I know. Well, it's been both. Um, could, could I just ask you on that point, actually? Because clearly, mm-hmm. Sonia Egan would have got free legal aid, right? Correct. And now would also um, be getting all sorts of psychological intervention in prison, correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay. And I do hope those interve- interventions uh, will help her um, because she needs help, okay. in my opinion. But do you but not get any... We forget. Yeah. Yeah, we get forgotten about. Um, and this is... I hope one day, when you ask the question, actually, why me? I hope one day that I will get stuck into campaigning for better rights for victims where we're prioritised and we're put first and foremost and would get legal aid to try to protect ourselves and more importantly, better support resources um, and hate more kind of, you know, speed up the process. Um, all of that needs to get better and be improved on. Okay, so while she has clearly ruined your life and I hope that you managed to build the building blocks again back up to be a strong woman and a, a great mother and have a fabulous life but I, I acknowledge that you you, you worry as to mm-hmm. what Egan will do next so she has ruined your life and financially you're ruined as well aren't you because you have correct me if I'm wrong is it a 26,000 or a 28,000 legal bill from the civil yeah. actions against her you, you wouldn't get anything from criminal compensation board would you? And it's it's interesting that you say that, and I've looked into it. But you must be physically aggrieved. You must have had a physical assault. Ah, but so that's backward. Um, like that's completely out of it is that's backward. That's completely out of touch with reality. Exactly, and I think you know our systems again and our laws have to get up to speed so quickly because the online world, it's not safe. We've come across several stories where people have taken their own lives and lost lives and there, there's nothing there for somebody who is being targeted and bullied online and yeah we just as you said it's so archaic it's it's wrong and that's where it's unfair as well we need to be doing much better this could happen to anybody Neil yeah. I'm just a normal person Going, going about their normal day-to-day oh, yeah, life. Absolutely, that's it what I was asking. It can happen to why anybody. Me? Why me? Absolutely, it certainly yeah. could, without a shadow of a doubt. But now you have yeah. to... F- okay, so the solicitor who represented you through the civil actions needs paying. Um, you, yes. you, you, you were supposed to get that money to pay the solicitor from Egan, but she hasn't paid you, is it? Mm-hmm. 
Correct. And she hasn't got, um, she hasn't, she's not a mark. She hasn't a dime, like. I don't know, but it remains unpaid. Therefore, his bill remains unpaid. So the responsibility comes back to me. And I don't have a brass farthing to rub together at the moment. And now that I've had a judgment against me, I can't even go for a loan. And my son is 19 now and needs to go to college and I can't even afford to do any of that. So this is how it's impacted our normal day to day lives. And now it's going to affect my son. And that's what makes me even more cross and angry. Ah, yeah. about it's all incredibly of this. cruel. So, you now mm. have had a judgment against you for that amount that your solicitor needs paying, and it's gone to the city sheriff, has it, for collection? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, and that's worrying. And it's not been for the want of trying to come up with other solutions. You've mentioned the criminal compensation scheme. Um, but, you know, that solicitor, too, was out of pocket and okay, okay. Um, I'm out of pocket, do you remember, but I don't have the legal resources. Yeah. Do you remember earlier on in the conversation I asked you about about the Sinn Féin connection? And I want to be fair to everybody mm-hmm. involved in this, including Sinn Féin. You say that she was a member of Sinn Féin. Um, what, yes. role to play, what role to play does Sinn Féin have in all of this? In, in the sense, would Sinn Féin not pay the 26,000, are they in any way responsible or or culpable in this? Do they share any blame? Well, my feelings on this, and it is currently being investigated. um, By whom? I have me. By the Data Protection Commission. Why are they investigating Uh, data protection? Was there a document leaked? Yes, it's because um, when Sergeant John Sheehy took the stand and gave his statement and shared evidence, it was an email of concern that I had raised uh, with Sinn Féin um, about her and somebody else. And they had given her that email. So you sent, uh, just to be clear on this, you, you sent Sinn Féin at the time an email of concern about Sonia Egan and you're claiming yes. that Sinn Féin or somebody within it, and I'm not saying that, you know, anybody that we'd know, but somebody within Sinn Féin shared that email with Egan. Yes, we have. It's, it's, it's evidence. Um, and I've made them aware of this. And I, I do feel had they not done that, she may never have come after me in the way she did. Okay. So they then expelled her on the basis of my email albeit their own internal representatives had already raised numerous complaints. And I would imagine one about Jonathan as well. So why was my email used as the scapegoat? Well, just curious, was, was that email marked private, confidential, not for sharing? I marked it strictly private and confidential. But she ended up with it. She has it. Yes, she got it. And she actually posted it on Facebook as well. But I had missed that post, obviously, because... if I were to call Sinn Féin and ask them, do they feel that they're in any way, you know, um, involved in this or, you know, should share responsibility or maybe financially compensate you by paying your legal debt? Would you be okay with that? I'm just curious as to how they'd respond to a question like that. 
Well, I had pleaded to them for help and support throughout all of this, especially when I became aware of Jonathan being on the receiving end. Um, so, and I would have shared many a lot of time with Jonathan through the civil courts and the criminal courts and not once did I ever see any support coming from them even to Jonathan um, so it looks like they don't care they're not interested but well, hold on a second um, in fairness to them I think there is an internal Sinn Féin investigation into all of this so maybe they they're only they're just- since only since I raised it with the data protection commissioner I had asked them once they became aware that this evidence had been shared, I emailed them straight away. I was ignored. And then I went about um, a data request and I also made them aware. I'm now informing the Data Protection Commissioner and that's now being looked into. And I shouldn't have to go to those measures. I shouldn't have to keep going out of my way to kind of, I suppose in yeah to, to, to hold people accountable to their part yeah. in all of this yeah. as well. okay. there's a reason we have GDPR and data protection um, and that email was literally throwing me under the bus Okay, well, it would only be right and proper to approach Sinn Féin for comment on it. Um, In the meantime, uh, this bill is still outstanding. Um, Are you expecting uh, somebody to come calling to the door for it to be paid? I mean, what's your option here if you can't pay it to bankrupt yourself, perhaps? It's insolvency. Um, Because I set up as a sole trader when I was setting up as self-employed, I take the full financial risk. So... It's, it's it's insolvency for me, basically, which is so unfair because it means I'll have no access to bank accounts. Um, I won't be able to, to get a loan. And I've recently discovered this when I tried to get a loan for my son's college education to for September. Um, so I am just after being crippled financially as well after I was after getting back on my feet after that illness and I just feel it's really unfair it's devastating uh, people talk people talk about being brave and, and strong but it's it's almost as if I don't know it's uh, yeah I, I get through the core process and then landed with this now, colleagues of yours or friends of yours have set up a GoFundMe to help and assist with the legal fees. It's called Laura Was Bullied, Harassed and Stalked Online, and it can be found on GoFundMe by searching Laura Was Bullied, Harassed and Stalked Online. And the idea is to try and raise enough funds to pay this, to get this monkey off your back, right? Yeah, uh, I'm overwhelmed, overwhelmed with um, this small little group of friends that... I suppose they, they know me personally and they see me personally and I put on this front when I go out the door or when I talk to even people like yourselves. Mm. Uh, they've seen me in emotional crisis and they know how this is affecting me. And uh, they a few of them came rallying around and nudged and nudged me. And, and the media have been super supportive mm. as well. And um, I guess I could 
throw my hat at the criminal compensation scheme and still be sitting here talking to you five well, years that later. Won't, that won't stop the sheriff or bailiffs calling. Does Facebook, exactly. or, does Facebook or Twitter have any skin in this game, actually, you know? Would you think about maybe um, pursuing them legally? Their platforms were used. Well, Facebook were attached to the injunction, but... That means then I start another legal process, which I don't have a brass button for either. So my priority right now is to get my credit history and my son. They're, they're my priority. After that, then it's, I mean, we've talked about one element of accountability and that's just how I feel. But yes, you're right. The platforms need to also be held accountable because they allowed those posts and those posts kept up were kept up despite our numerous pleas uh, and court appearances to get all of that horrible stuff taken which down. was going up all uh, of the time for at least nine months of hell right exactly okay. um and they're there and they're out there now in the internet and they're still out there so you know and as i said mud sticks um I could fight this for years on end, Neil, but I genuinely haven't any fight left. I know what you're saying. I know. I'm done. I know. I'm broken. I know. And I'm not going to keep you any longer than this, except to say that hopefully the good people of Cork and further afield will have heard my conversation with you and indeed your conversation with others. And if they can help in any way, shape or form, that they will help to pay this legal bill for and with you by going on fun, GoFundMe and giving what they can afford, yeah? I would be so, I feel so unfair to ask for that for that help, but I would be so appreciative of it. And I know the cost of living is super high right now, but just even share it um, and try and spread this word and just try to mind each other that little bit better as well yeah because um, yeah. that's supportful in itself yeah well oh yes absolutely but if people can financially help let us all bear in mind to remember that it was you but it could have been any one of us yeah Laura, thank yeah. you thank you so much for taking the call. I really do appreciate it. And I hope that you stay in touch. And let's drive on the GoFundMe as best we can, okay? Laura was bullied, harassed, and stalked. That's the search on GoFundMe. Thank you so much. I know it's not the easiest conversation in the world, so I appreciate you talking it through with me. Thanks, Neil. I appreciate your support as well. It means a lot. All the best. Thank you. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. And you can text 0868-104-106. My conversation with uh, Laura O'Connell. I see text coming in there already. Text 0868-104-106. That GoFundMe is up and it's live now. It's Laura was bullied, harassed and stalked. If you have any couple of Bob at all that you would like to contribute towards the uh, legal fees that she now has to... Uh, pick up obviously solicitors have to be paid um, uh, it, it's extraordinary really that uh, she's left carrying this can and uh, also the worry that after you know jail sentence is served will even that be the end of it now in fairness we, we did get in touch with uh, with Sinn Féin now there is an internal investigation going on in Sinn Féin at the, Sinn Féin at the moment regarding uh, an email that Laura had sent to Sinn Féin that ultimately then a copy of it ended up with Sonia Egan and Sinn Féin are looking into that now and are obliged to do so under the Data Protection 
uh, act. But I, I was just curious as to whether or not Sinn Féin, and this is not political in any way, shape or form. I have no issue in that regard whatsoever. I'm just talking about, um, you know, as, as, as regards whether or not they feel that they should be involved in, uh, you know, the plight that um, Laura finds herself in right now. So we just asked them that. It'd be interesting to see what they say. They may not be able to talk in any way, shape or form or comment because of this investigation. But I was just curious as to what Sinn Féin think of it, considering that originally uh, Sonia Egan was... Um, uh, is now a, a former Sinn Féin party member who was at the time. Now, that, that could deem to be, you know, just completely and utterly irrelevant. I don't know. But I'd just be curious to see what Sinn Féin have to say on the matter. But go fund me. Laura was bullied, harassed and stalked. It's gone to the city sheriff. And if that remains unpaid, of course, then it goes to bailiffs who actually call uh, looking to be paid. And, and, uh, and ultimately, more court proceedings will follow. Uh, for poor Laura at that stage and I don't think any of us want that to be quite honest anyway text 0868104106 pick up the phone on 0818104106 now back to and I may well come back to this in the coming days certainly tomorrow I'll be doing an awful lot more with regards to wonderful giveaways for terrific uh, Cork locations right across the county that you can take your family over the summer schools are out you might be scratching your head as to what you should do and where you should go could I strongly recommend that you download a fantastic app. It's called Explore Cork. Uh, and it's a Cork County Council app. Explore Cork. It's the city and the county where you can literally go. It's like a one-stop tourism app. There's 850 places up there to see and things to do all over the county of Cork. It's incredible. And I've got lots of family passes for different. I've given some of the way already. So share your own holiday stories, your own staycationing or vacationing stories. The funnier, the happier, the sad, the better. Text 0868104106 and we'll do lots of that tomorrow, Friday. Now, back to the phone lines we go. I was chatting with Ashling, who's only got a remaining amount of sight somewhere in the region, about 5%. And she was talking about the issues regarding people who are unsighted and have guide dogs. And certainly with regards to accessibility, even trying to get into it. In her case, in one case, it was a, a museum and then a couple of cafes. And, and unfortunately, loathed do I am to criticise any taxi driver in Cork because I'm mad about them all, but some taxis as well, kind of a little bit, yeah, getting the hump when a guide dog, uh, somebody tries to get into a taxi with a guide dog. But Sarah, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are Did, you? I'm good. Did you hear my chat with Ashling? Can you relate to much yeah. of that? Um, I can. I can are you on speakerphone, Ashling? I am on speakerphone, yeah. Would it be easier for me, would it be easier, would you mind coming off the speaker? I... Um, no? My phone isn't great sound-wise. All right, well, let me just turn you up then. Cause, oh, hang on, let me just see if I can turn you up. But go ahead anyway. So, basically, I have quadriplegic CP um, and oh, quadriplegic cerebral palsy and a nice segment for business. So I would have slightly more vision than asking, but I I can relate to a lot of the stuff Ashley was saying, particularly around dog fouling. It's not, it's not very pleasant Dog filing, um, yes. I, I should I should mention as well as 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 well as being verging on legally blind, you also use a wheelchair. Yes, I do. Okay. And yeah. how how do you find navigating around particularly say our city? Well, navigating around the city can be a challenge. There, there are some streets like Patrick Street that are wide 
and pedestrianised. But my biggest challenge is the lack of drop curbs. Like, there might be a drop curb at one end of the footpath and then no drop curb to come off it again. You're so saying a dropped, curb, a dropped curb is where it just slants down to level ground? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 They have the orange little bobbly bits. They do. The yeah. What are those bobbly bits for? Is that to identify to a, an unsighted person that they're coming to an edge, is it? Yeah, I think it's mainly for cane users. Yes. Now, okay. okay. I'm able to see the... Um, the um, footpath, so or the black curb, so I I would be able to see that much. Okay, okay. I, I don't mean to overly tire you out now or give you too much grief here with questions and asking things. But I know no, the, no, no, I, I know, ah, oh, grand, fair play. Well, I know you did talk about to the lads about sandwich boards and cars yeah. constantly parking on curbs. Um, outdoor dining because much more outdoor dining and hospitality and things like that. Yeah, well, the outdoor dining ha- um, was an issue, but it has kind of subsided now as COVID has become less of a. Yeah, we're back indoors as well as yeah. outdoors. At one stage, we were only all outdoors. And tell and tell me, have you a guide dog? No, I don't have a guide dog. Okay. Okay. I, I applied for one a couple of years ago, but it was decided that because I'm a wheelchair user, the dog might get afraid of the wheelchair. Yeah. So it was decided that that wasn't for me. But if you applied for one, it must be that you felt that it would be good for you and beneficial, yeah? Yeah. Um, I did apply for one, but the NTBI decided after having done a walk or whatever um, the NTBI oh, I decided know. I know. it was for me. So and I how, how do you find wheelchair accessibility into buildings and hospitality and restaurants and public buildings with regards to ramps and wide doorways and what uh, have you? Shopping. Well, you can't do anything spontaneously because you have to ring up in advance to yeah. make sure a restaurant or um, a cafe or whatever is accessible. So it's the fact that you can't really decide to do anything. You have to plan, I know. And supermarkets, are they all geared up now to cope with people who would have very little vision or indeed are shopping in a wheelchair? Yeah, um, like most supermarkets would have ties that you can actually attach to the wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. Good. In that sense, it's okay. And yeah, go on. People just need to be more aware when they're parking on the street um, directly on a drop curb. But that's not okay because that means that people like me or people with a visual impairment um, could get um, 
Because I was going to ask you, what could the public do better or how could we be more cognizant of those people like yourself, whether in a wheelchair or, uh, you know, with cerebral palsy or, or people who are blind? How could we do better? And you're saying one of the ones is watch where you park. Yeah. Anything because, else? Um, watch where you park and just be more aware. Like, as Ashwin said earlier, if it looks like someone is struggling with a particular task, don't be afraid to say, do you want a bit of help here? Yes. Nine times out of ten, you'll get, oh, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's quite easy to identify when a person is struggling. Totally, totally. Do you know Ashling? Yeah, um, we're on the same advocacy group. Okay, do you want to say hi to her? Hi, Ashling. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> oh, yeah. you're still on. Yeah, she's, no, she hasn't been on all along. I just rang her back there. So the two of you keep continuing to fight the good fight. All right, Sarah? We will. Mind yourself. Thanks, Neil. Bye. Bye. Ashling, tell me about your dog. Does the dog need... What's the dog's name, the guide dog's name? Kelly. Kelly. Does Kelly need a haircut? Um, she could do. Well, no, actually, to be honest with you. And with the hot weather and everything, we need to be snipping the dogs because they can't take their coats off. Mm, definitely, yeah. Right, okay. Would you fancy a little bit of work done? Oh, I think, no, she'd love it. She'd be jumping up in the air. I know, I've been so lovely and fresh <laughs> Love it. I love it because I know somebody was, I don't have the details here now, but somebody was querying yesterday dog groomers, I believe, yeah? Um, and, and uh, oh, here it is. It was Gretty. Her daughter, Cleo, is looking for a dog groomer for her golden cocker, uh, Toby, a very nervous dog. They've been trying to get someone, but nobody will take him. I don't know whether they won't take him because of his size or because, whether, he's, whether he's nervous or not, but Kathy has fluffed up, fluffed up mobile dog grooming. Kathy? Hi. Why wouldn't somebody take a Why wouldn't somebody take a golden cocker? Is it, is it because Toby is nervous or what? It might be that he's nervous, but you know what? I've groomed a, a cocker spaniel before. He's actually one of my best friend's dogs. And the first time that I groomed him, he was so nervous, he jumped out of the bath on me. And the second time I groomed him, he sat there and absolutely loved every single bit of it. So, so is she saying that, it would, would, so it's not unheard of, of, of uh, groomers to see a dog, see that it's a nervous dog and say no, is it? You know, some can be a little bit cautious of it. I mean, you know, you don't know what a nervous dog is going to do. Sometimes they might sit there and they might shake. Sometimes they might turn a little bit aggressive and they might go to snap at you or something along those lines. So sometimes groomers are they're, they're only looking after themselves. I really, gotcha. If they, I gotcha. If they know gotcha. that a dog is a little bit nervous. But I, I, I tend to take them all. I give them all a go and with, I work with what I can. I deal with a lot of rescue dogs as well. You know, I have a rescue myself. So I, I've no problem taking on a nervous dog. What kind of a dog, actually, what kind of a dog is yours? What's, what's, is it Callie? Callie, yeah. yeah. She's um, a lab retriever. She's are, they, are all guide dogs Labradors, are they? Um, the majority of them would be either the lab or the retriever. They have a few German shepherds. And they also, in the past, have done the Labadoodles. Why have I got a photograph of you and Callie up at Mondello Park? Were you racing cars or something? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> Tuesday, um, through Vision Sports. What? There was With 5% sight? 
Well, well, 40 visually impaired and blind people went up to Mandela Park and we got to drive cars in the morning and then we got to be in the passenger side of the rally car in the afternoon. Oh my God, that must have been great fun, was it? Oh, telling you, I'd go back now tomorrow if I could. Um, <laughs> it was just the, the speed, everything. And although saying that now, I think a couple of the instructors were a bit, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> anyway, yeah. listen, I'm glad you're living life to the full. And we'll get a little bit of a dog room now for Callie from Cathy, all right? That's great. Thanks for Not a bother, girl. Look after yourself. So, last bit of business before I let you go. I'm really on the bum now at this stage, Cathy. Gretty. Hang on a second. Yeah. You can hear me now, can you? So we 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 have um we've Toby sorted, right? Oh, thank you, thank right. you, Toby. Thanks for Toby. Anyway, <laughs> he's just gone out for his walk there, and he's just ringing. You can see the water on him. I know it's because of the heat you see, and the dogs, as I, I said already, they can't take their jackets off. You know. And he's pulling the darling face, looking at me. And why is he a nervous little dog? Are they known to be nervous, he, golden he, cockers? He's um, he's just a little playful fella, like. He's only nine months old or ten months old. Is th- will this be his first haircut? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's somebody cut the back of him a small bit, but he, he the, the daughter had to take him back in because he got kind of upset. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the worst them babies there. All right, well, listen, Gretty, Kathy's going to be in touch from fluffed up mobile dog grooming, all right? And she'll, all right, get, she'll you. get you sorted, okay? Thank you ever so much. Not at all. Happy to help. That's what we're here for. Kathy, before I let you go, did you have any thoughts on taxi drivers not taking dogs because the dogs smell in the back of the cabs? I think that, okay, well, obviously everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but I think that a dog would need to be out rolling in something for it to be smelly enough to leave a lasting smell in, in the back of the car. So unless there's, they're refusing, you know, farm dogs who have been out with, out with the cows or whatever, you know, they, they, they can be a little bit grim sometimes, but, you know, 90% of the time, if it's a short journey, they're not going to leave a lasting smell. I know, but hold on a second now. In the middle of the winter or when it rains, and it rains in every season in Ireland, there's nothing worse than the smell of wet dog. Ah, yeah, Neil, but you know, if they're, if they're only in the car for 10 or 15 minutes, it's, it's not going to leave a massive smell. Like, I have wet dogs in the back of my van every day and, you know, it, it doesn't stink. Listen, good to catch up with you. Stay in touch and thanks so much for coming to our aid, all right? No Mind problem yourself. at all. I'm delighted Cheers, Cathy. Anybody that needs grooming services, particularly of the mobile variety, fluffed up mobile dog grooming. I'm going to love you and leave you. Just before I go, can I just remind you once again of uh, the uh, GoFundMe page that's put up for uh, Laura O'Connell. It's uh, Laura was bullied, harassed and stalked on GoFundMe. You may have heard my conversation with it this morning. If you think it can help, that would be just terrific. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.